Well, hello and welcome to episode number 288 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me live in the PTUK studios this week, as always, is the man who's suitably, well, suited and booted tonight, <laughs> wearing, well, what I'm going to describe as uh, very posh work attire, Matt Smith. Did, did you not get the memo? No, I must have oh, missed Oh, I'm that. so sorry. Yes, that must have been, in, I don't know, it must have been a text message that went astray or something like that. Yes, I'm, I'm a little overdressed for this. Just slightly, really. yeah. <laughs> it's all right, but it's all right. Yeah, you see, Nev always does it in a shirt. You know, Nev is always suitably attired. I know, it's only you scruff bags in a t-shirt all the time, honestly. <laughs> oh, fair enough, fair enough. How, how are you anyway, Mr. Smith? Uh, yes, I'm fine. Yeah, It's been a funny old week, I'm not going to lie, but yes, it's... Uh, You've yeah. got treats? I have got treats, I have. I've got uh, marshmallows here, ladies and gentlemen, and I should be... Uh, is, these are what I believe is referred to in the world of Wittertainment as code-compliant snacks. Yes. Uh, if you've ever listened to uh, the Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo uh, movie podcast, which if you don't, then you must, by the way, it's really good, uh, this is referred to as um, code-compliant snacks. And apparently, snacks. Says that I can eat loads of them because they're not fattening. Apparently, whether they are or not, I don't know. But yeah, well, I don't know about that. But, uh, yeah, they are certainly code complete. They're nice anyway. Yeah, they don't nice make a lot of noise. So, joining us from his uh, palatial mansion across oh. in Buckinghamshire, <laughs> uh, he's on uh, with us this week, and it is of course Sir Neville Bounds. Yes, hello, everybody. Hope you are doing well. Um, I hope you've had all a great week. I've got some really loud music in my ear at the moment, Matt. I don't think you Have you? Anything about that? Uh, yes, leave, leave, uh, it with leave, leave, leave it with me. Um, uh, but um, yeah, all good here. And uh, although the weather has been disgusting today, it's been really, really wet. And then the sun's come out, then it's been wet again, then sunny, then rainy, then rainbows. So, uh, yeah, lots of weird stuff. <laughs> As you do, rainbows. Gotta love rainbows. Yes. <laughs> Up above uh, trees are. and houses, mm. rainbow flying yep. high. Sorry, um, it's just me that remembers that, fair enough. <laughs> and moving swiftly on uh, to uh, our next uh, of co-host of the show. Uh, he's joining us for a short while this evening because I expect he's got to go off and fly somewhere. It's or, of course, or sleep. Maybe. Or sleep, yeah. yeah. It's, of course, the amazing Armando. Hey, guys. How are you all today? <laughs> all good. All good. Nice to see you, Armando. Nice to see you back. And how are things with you in the world of aviation well uh really good actually i'm sitting at an fbo and then uh an airport a random airport in an undisclosed location in the eastern united states oh uh, it is <laughs> hot okay it's probably 30 something degrees celsius so it's Ooh. hot and humid so it's terrible weather to be in an airplane but uh i did get the chance i've i'm i'm narrowing down my portable podcast setup so i'm able Very to good. dial in with just <laughs> Yeah, it's great with an <laughs> iPad. Thanks to uh, actually Captain Jeff, who uh, kind of guided me on on the most uh, efficient and small uh, post podcasting setup. So very good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good I, to see. You. I suppose that's the advantage about our configuration here, because all the, all the big stuff is here in the studio now. So you, <laughs> yeah. you can sort of, you know, it's sort of easy to sort of dial in <laughs> much much easier than it used to be. Anyway, it's <laughs> yeah. So so you're in an undisclosed location. This sounds very top secret. Oh no, uh, <laughs> no, no. I'm still in North Carolina. Oh, it's okay. wicked hot. It's wicked humid. Uh, it's uh, yeah, just to work in at the airport and. Uh, just uh, doing some aviation things, and but uh, you you guys have a great stand-in for me today. Better looking, 
Yeah, that uh, we do. Oh, that older, we do. more experienced, <laughs> oh, wow. right? Wow, how <laughs> much, more qualified. How, how much did that cost him? That's I, know. What I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> also, joining us on the show this evening as uh, our esteemed guest host, he's the man who puts the fourth stripe into Captain. It's Captain Al. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> a very good evening to you. Uh, thanks very much, Armando. Uh, the check's in the post. Um, yep. I forgot to sign it, but don't worry about that. That's only a technicality. Okay? <laughs> Is it one of those <laughs> Yeah, it could well be, actually. A rubber one, yes. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much for inviting me along, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with you tonight. Fantastic. Yeah, so, thank you. As I say, unfortunately, you can't stay with us too long, but uh, it's great to have you uh, on. We haven't had you on for far too long, frankly, mm. so it's good to, good to have you on board. Absolutely, I'm, it's good to be here. And how is uh, how is life with the uh, with the good old Airbus then, Al? Fantastic. Yes, I did uh, a little hop to uh, London Luton to sample the weather today, and uh, I'm currently in Bucharest, where it's a pleasant uh, 22 degrees Celsius. Oh, very nice. Very, 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 nice. very reasonable. Yes. Sorry to hear about the Luton side of things. Uh, that's <laughs> Shame, but, uh, there we go. He's it, was a, it was a little bit wet and windy, but there you go. Yeah, uh, Carlos has got a bit of a black spot now when it <laughs> comes to Luton. He's decided that it's, um, I don't know, it's sort of, you know, yeah. Satan's, I don't know, garden are you, or something. Are you not a lover of Luton, Carlos? No, after my experience two weeks ago, I think I shall um, pay the extra and fly from Stansted right. or uh, okay. other airports. Uh, yeah. Other airports are, of course, yeah. available. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, well, I, I do like to retrieve my luggage at, l- at least... You know, within an hour after landing, oh, preferably. Um, right. but, okay. uh, yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, let's not get him on that subject again. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Yeah. <laughs> so we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, uh, with a rundown of the weekly news from around the UK and the world. So if you're ready, Matt. Oh, uh, I'm born ready. And if you're ready, Nev. Yes. Armando. Sure. Al. Let it roll. <laughs> <laughs> So kicking off this week's first news story, and it's the news story that everyone's been following uh, for a while now, and it's obviously the news of the sad uh, loss mm. of Thomas Cook. Uh, so uh, the story that is on the BBC News uh, website, uh, bbc.co.uk, and it's uh, it's about a video that actually went viral this week, uh, which showed the uh, Thomas Cook executive uh, walking through a corridor. This was a, a video that went viral, and uh, this was the, uh, the, the Condor side of Thomas Cook, which... Uh, have uh, continued to operate even after Thomas Cook have uh, have ceased to exist, and uh, this is due to the uh, Germany or the actual German government stepping in and lending Condor 380 million euros, which is very nice of them. But uh, unfortunately, Thomas Cook uh, couldn't uh, stay, and obviously, there's been a lot of uh, upset and anger with uh, passengers stranded all around Europe and uh, as far you know, far yes, forward. Yes, I mean, if you've basically been stuck under a stone, uh, which I'm sure you haven't, then obviously this story involves the very sad demise of... Mm. Uh, I, I mean, it, was a, it was a sort of like a holiday company, wasn't it? It was mm. 170-something or other years, years I seem old, to yeah. recall, that yeah. it, had been, it had been trading for, and it's just very, very sad. And um, uh, one of the main reasons uh, for inviting the legend that is uh, Sir Captain Naval is uh, we wanted to sort of maybe try and... Um, 
have a look at it from you know because there's the, the thing is is the mainstream media has been full of passengers complaining about how awful it is that their mm. holidays have been ruined and you know I understand people have lost money and I know also Thomas Cook for example did do like a like a cash card if you like of which where you could put currency and all that kind of thing and I know a lot of people have lost things like that but the uh, you know I mean we wouldn't be an aviation uh, show if it were if our main concern to be frank uh, was uh, obviously there's an awful lot of people now yeah. very very good people certainly from the reports that that i've heard who are now essentially you know out of work and uh whatever you want to say about uh, uh, thomas cook certainly from the research that i've been doing i've uh, i haven't found a single person yet who had a bad word to mm. say about the experience that they had um when they've been on a thomas cook holiday um and um, there's actually a report wasn't there Matt, on this on the news this week about that uh, flight that landed and uh, the actual whole all the passengers on the aircraft had a had a huge whip round for the oh, crew yeah of cash Aww. and uh, yeah for the crew and stuff so which was really nice yeah it but, was um and uh, so nev nev what do you think about this when this story uh obviously broke yeah it's um i don't know they just felt like some inevitability about it because of all the stuff that's been going on but i just wonder whether this whole inclusive tour stuff that, that happens now it, it is the is the right financial model because thomas cook had a lot of shops as well of course they're all closed as well so it's not just the you know the airline it's it's the, the shops and all, all the infrastructure and all the back end all the people in peterborough that uh, will be without work as well and i just maybe it's the way people are booking their holidays now is mm. different to how it used to be you know 10 years ago mm. for example uh, people booking separate, you know, uh, hotels and separate flights and things like that. Now, of course, there's one person who's uh, sat with us uh, this evening, who knows very much firsthand what on earth these these lovely people are essentially going through. And uh, I wonder uh, if we could perhaps trouble you, uh, Al, to sort of give us your thoughts. Absolutely. Um, probably the best way that I can summarise this for anybody who hasn't got any direct connection with Thomas Cook or did do with Monarch Airlines. Uh, and it's going to sound difficult for some, but it's like a bereavement. It's like a family member dying. Mm. And I suppose in many respects, um, you know, unfortunately, we all go through a period of time where um, we have uh, a family member who's who's poorly. Um, but the actual time when that, that family member dies, it's still a brutal shock, even yeah. though there was, you know, the, uh, the, the feeling that the this might such, happen. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And there is no doubt that nothing can prepare you for that shock mm. when you get the, the email that says, you know, regrettably, you're now out of a job. And then it is just like a, a, a smack in the face. Mm. Uh, it makes you, I mean, it, the, the, you will go through the whole raft of emotions. I've been speaking to uh, quite a few uh, Thomas Cook colleagues over the last couple of days, as you might imagine. And the first thing that happens is almost like a disbelief. You know, th this can't be happening to me. You know, this can't be happening to Thomas Cook. It was the same for us at Monarch. Um, you know, the run-up to it, it's all quite surreal. And you, you, you do read the newspapers, of course. And, you know, we live in a 24-hour, seven days a week, you know, media environment mm -hmm. now. 
Um, so you read it, but you, I know it's going to sound very naive to some people, but um, it's not that you don't believe it, but you just don't think it's going to happen. You, you feel that it will be okay. Well, and also and, perhaps, perhaps you almost feel like there's going to be a last minute reprieve or, you know, suddenly that, that deal, you know, because certainly right up to and including like the Monday, I mean, there were last ditch talks going ahead where people were frantically trying to, to sort of essentially save Thomas Cook and, and, and sadly the, the deal couldn't be done. Um, Absolutely. You know, and, I mean, there must almost be, like, as I say, I guess you, 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 as a person, you're just literally clinging on to that, that last hope that, you know, no, they, you know, they're going to save it. It's too, too important. You know, the, either the government are going to step in or, or, you know, somebody's going to find the money from somewhere or, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the, the aspects of government stepping in um, is, is one area. But, um, yeah, you, you, you just, just going about your normal work, you're doing what you've done every day for however many years. And you have to in some ways, especially for the air crew, uh, the pilots, the engineers, the, the cabin crew, you have to block some of this out because you just have to go on and do what is quite a safety-related job without concentrating on, on the what-ifs and maybes. And, you know, unlike Monarch Airlines, where we were very fortunate in that uh, because of the makeup of the company and, and because of how the uh, end was orchestrated, we didn't get told that the company had folded until the very last aircraft had landed. Right. Now, this is very, very different for the Thomas Cook guys because there were aircraft in the air when it became pretty much known that you're out of a job. Wow. And I, I want to put out a very, very big uh, pat on the back to all of the crews who knew that they were out of a job, but still got on with the job, you know, operated to the absolute degree of professionalism and were able to, you know, safely land all of the aeroplanes and go about their business as if it was just another normal day. So, you know, that that's tough. That really is tough. I mean, and presumably there were some people who were literally about to embark on a, on a flight, essentially knowing that the worst had already happened, or at least sort of, you know, had an inkling. Yes, I mean, the, undoubtedly, um, some of the, the later departures, they, yeah, they, they knew that they were out of a job. Uh, there is a degree of uh, survival instinct, so there's an aeroplane, you're going to get on it and you're going to fly it because you don't want to be stuck down route. Mm. And of course, Thomas Cook did have crew stuck down route. Um, some yeah. good friends of mine were stuck in Cuba. Um, it's been a little bit in the media that the, the hotel uh, made it difficult for the crews to leave because the hoteliers are, uh, are owed money and ultimately they will receive that money. But like anything else, if you feel that you can... Um, maybe make a bit of a, a point and highlight your position as a hotelier. So I don't think it's fair to say that they were held hostage, but they were certainly economic hostages, some of the crews. Um, so you've got the, the double whammy. Um, you've lost your job, and now you can't leave when you want to leave. So... <laughs> Because I mean, there must be there must be every five of your your being thinking, I just want to get away from here. I want to get home. Um, you know, I want to maybe start the search for for a new job. And you know, some of these people, as you were saying, were essentially stuck in, you know, yeah. sort of stuck the other end of the world. You know. Yeah. So uh, when when you become aware that it's all happened, it was very similar to us. It was an email. Um, 
even though, like you say, it, that you felt that the writing was on the wall. Internally, you're a bit oblivious to that. Maybe people on the outside see it a lot clearer with more clarity. Um, but frankly, um, your blood just run co runs cold. Mm. It's awful. Um, and then you go through a whole series of emotions. So there's the first one, which is disbelief. Um, then the realization. Um, then absolute sadness. Um, I, I cried. Um, and I know, know many, many, many people, um, the sort of people that you wouldn't expect to be emotional. And some people are going to say, well, look, this is just a job, isn't it? And people lose their jobs all the time. And I suppose it's probably a function of working in an airline where you're, you're working in, in, a, in a high pressure and challenging environment, but you're working with people who you develop professional relationships mm. with. In many respects, um, airlines will have um, lots of uh, relationships that extend from professionals. So there'll be, um, you know, people who work for the airline who've married each other. Yeah. Um, there'll be mums and dads who work for the airline whose children are working for the airline. So th this is an all-encompassing event. So you go through the, the, the abject sadness, and then this will definitely be the case uh, Thomas Cook, as it was for Monarch, then the anger will kick in mm. because as an employee, you're going to be angry that this has happened because there are people in the case of Monarch and Thomas Cook who will be, you know, sat on their, on their pile of coins looking down going, it's worked out okay for me. Mm. Um, in the case of Thomas Cook, I think it's probably a case that, you know, some of the hedge funds have made a huge amount of money betting on the demise of uh, Thomas Cook. So you, you then go through that anger. And, and frankly, um, we will all do it. Uh, it is largely futile because you cannot change what has happened. Um, in the case of Monarch, um, there were people who were in a state of disbelief for several days and would say to me, you know, this is going to be okay. We're, we're going to get our jobs back, aren't we? You know, mm -hmm. someone's going to buy us. And the reality is, no, it's dead. Mm. There's no easy way to say it. It's dead. Yeah. Um, and then you have to think, right, okay. Um, well, I'm not going to get any money then, am I, in the short term? Uh, you then get the notification that you're required to register at the job center. Um <laughs> And you then have to go for your, you know, your job seekers allowance interview. Now, wow. <laughs> it's for some people and for many, many people, they're going to go, well, what? But for a lot of us, I mean, in my particular case, up until the point of the device of Monarch, I'd never been unemployed from the time of leaving school till yeah. 2017. I'd never walked into a job center. You know, it's not, it's got nothing to do with, with status or class. It's just, I don't know how this works. What happens here? You know, what, you know, it, it, it's just a completely different world, an unknown world. Mm. And then you start to think, right, okay, well, how do I put all of this back together? You know, um, before this happens, you, you have the, the dreadful, dreadful, uh, breakfast with the family as I did where you're saying okay well you know dad's out of a job um, things will be okay you know with tears running down your cheeks it's not a nice thing to have to do um, and you can imagine 
the, the breakfast table as there are for people at Thomas mm. Cook, where mum and dad and son and daughter all work for the airline. I know one family just like that. Yeah. So the entire family income is destroyed, destroyed in, in one, one email. In one email. Yeah. Armando, obviously you're over in the US. What um, what do you what do you make of uh, what's happened here in the UK? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't have very much uh, more to add than what Al how Al described it. I, I watched my brother uh, when Comair he was flying for Comair when it closed its doors, and he was flying for Midway when it closed closed its doors. Not you know not too. Uh, or shortly before that but uh yeah it's it's hard for the families it's hard for the crews um and and a lot of times that means a family relocation mm. you know to to find another airline to fly for if you're if you're that lucky but uh you know our our thoughts are with everyone that we've yeah. mentioned and like al said you know we hope that everybody gets back on their yeah on their feet soon absolutely i uh, just just Going uh, back to, to Al very briefly, if I may. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you were you were very much. Uh, I know in your previous role, obviously, you were a rep, uh, and that must have been quite hard as well, because obviously, you've got lots of people coming to talk to you uh, about their demise. Basically, you know, and you're in exactly the same boat, but you're having to concentrate looking after them before you get any time to look at your situation, I guess. Um, but obviously. As a, a guy who's been through there, and I'm delighted to say, obviously now that you're, you know, you're you're flying for another airline, you know, you, you've dug yeah. yourself out of this. I mean, is there any advice that you could give uh, the the people from Thomas Cook that that you know perhaps as a way of sort of trying to, you know, sort of get themselves back on track as soon as possible? Is there anything you you'd suggest? I think it's just a case of remaining positive because. You do feel as if the the rug has been pulled from mm-hmm. you know beneath your feet, um, and for the pilots, um, there are jobs out there. We're we're lucky that there are you know still airlines that are recruiting, and many airlines are, are making it easy for Thomas Cook pilots to apply. Uh, Virgin Atlantic, Wizz Air, Titan, uh, Ryanair, Louder Motion. Um, it's twofold. Obviously, there's some very, very experienced and talented pilots out there. So why wouldn't you want them in your airline? Mm-hmm. And also, there's you know uh, a degree of, of benevolence because we you know we all know what it's like. Um, so for the pilots, it's it's easier. I'm not going to say it's easy. Yeah. Um, same for the engineers. They they will be okay. They've got transferable the skills. Yeah, the people who it hits hardest, in my experience, are the cabin crew. Yeah. Because a lot of cabin crew aren't in the position where they can just geographically relocate. A lot of cabin crew tends to be tend to have children, and especially in the more established airlines like Martinuk and Thomas Cook, where the airlines were very good at providing flexible working, part time, you know, and allowing people to have a career and children. You know, no new employer is going to go, yes, of course you can have flexible working, you know, come and work for us. So, so many of the cabin crew, um, you know, end up having to go and do jobs um, that weren't necessarily their first choice. And a lot of mm. them end up leaving aviation, which is a great, great shame. Great shame yeah. Not through choice, but through absolute necessity. Um, and, you know, one thing that does need to be said is that unfortunately, uh, there are people at Thomas Cook who were at Monarch 
so they've been through it before. Oh, no. But on the journey to Thomas Cook, they've been at Wow Air and they've been at Primera. So, you know, there are, you know, some people out there, okay, there, there is an element that says that you can get, you know, uh, the number of punches that you take makes you harder each time. But it, it, <laughs> yeah. there's another side to that coin as well, that, yeah. you know, how many times can you be kicked when you're down? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, there must be somebody there going, oh, come on, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, as all I've said to people that I've been in contact with over the last few days have been quite busy trying to offer mm. help advice just a shoulder to cry on for some mm. um in in more ways than one is to say look at the end of the day everybody's still breathing yeah um and whilst it's you know it's a tragedy um you can pick yourself up dust yourself down uh, and carry on things won't be how they were mm. um it can never be the same uh it, it's unfortunate that the, the time that you have just think back on it and go i'm glad i was there i'm glad i did it you know that was the best time of my life but just draw a line don't compare because you can't and to, to put this in a very crass way it's about like living in a in a small town or village where there's there's one chinese takeaway and it's amazing mm. it's the best chinese takeaway for miles and miles and for whatever reason, it closes down and another one opens and it's okay, but it's, it's not, not a patch same. on it. There's no point in trying to compare. Just accept what you have or what you're going to have uh, and just look back with fondness to what you did have. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's safe to say that uh, we all wish everyone who works and not just the pilots and the cabin crew and and that but also like the travel agents and things i mean obviously tom tom's cook is one of those few where you still have bricks and mortar travel agents and things, true, and they're, yeah. they're all out of well, it's interesting well. in some ways because um if you go back a few years there was uh, a big move away from high street travel agents and then we had you know events where people were independently booking their flights independently booking their accommodation, mm. independently booking their transfers, um, which is all fine, and that's the beauty of the internet. But of course, if your flight is cancelled, then you can't get the money back for your transfers, and you can't get the money back for your hotel, because they're all individual contracts. Yeah. So when people got stung a little bit by that, there was a big move back towards inclusive tours, where it was just all on the one under the one umbrella. And, you know... If your flight was cancelled or delayed, you know, alternatives were made and, and mm. you had a package. And I think that whilst, you know, people may question whether the all-inclusive arrangement um, is valid in the 21st century, it's going to be very difficult to uh, console people who've lost their holidays, but ultimately yeah. they're covered yeah. If they'd made their own individual flight arrangements, hotel arrangements, and the airline had folded, you've still got to cover the cost of your hotels, even though yeah. you can't get there. Yeah. So it, it's almost a case of you can't win one way and you can't win another yeah. way. Um, but um, I'm sure that there will be many people who will uh, 
trawl through the wreckage of Thomas Cook and, and highlight where it went wrong. Yeah. Um, but that's not for me. No. And of course, uh, you know, it is one of those airlines again, because it was a, you know, a full on package thing. So it is, it was, it was the ma vast majority of people who, who were with Thomas Cook will obviously be at all protected. Uh, and I think it's safe to say that the Civil Aviation Authority, and I think mentioned specifically by the CAA, where Titan Air have been doing a sterling job in, uh, did you say it was like 40,000 people, did you say earlier? 40% no, 40%, 40 of, of people, of, I think, people I have already been repatriated, repatriated in, yeah. in basically five days. So, um, you know, credit where credit's due, so this awful mm. thing has happened, but... Uh, you know that there are people working very hard behind the scenes to make sure. And of course, the CAA did say what an amazing uh, amount of help they'd received from these now out of work staff um, at Thomas Cook who have been going out of their way to help the yeah. CAA get everyone repatriated. And I think that really sort of tells its own story about the the kind of people perhaps who were who were working uh, for that organisation. Very much so. Yeah, right. Well, well, we'll we'll move on, I think. But hmm. uh, Al, thank you very much for that. Yeah, I thanks, appreciate Al. that. That can't have been very easy for you, because I mean, as you say, you've no, been. No, it's, there, it's kind you. of weird, actually, because when I saw it un saw it unfold on Monday, it, it was again. Those of you who know me quite well will understand. But it was a bit like reliving yeah. two years ago all imagine. over again. Yeah. Um, and um, it, uh, truthfully. Um, I feel really, really bad that it's happened again in the UK. And mm -hmm. I hope that maybe going forwards that some form of legislation or something is put into place that we can avoid these type of yeah. events because uh, it, it doesn't do anybody any good, this. No, no. Agreed, absolutely. Well, as I say, uh, we wish uh, everybody at Thomas Cook, uh, both admin staff, cabin crew, pilots and everyone, we wish you all the very best of luck um, in sort of finding uh, uh, new employment. And uh, yeah. as uh, Al said, let, let's look on the bright side. Uh, everybody's still with us. That's the main thing. So you've yeah. still got your families and you've still got your friends. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be very tough for you all. But, uh, yeah, we're wishing you all the best, guys. So you're happy to stay with us for a little bit longer, Al? I know you've got... Uh, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no, I'm good for, the, for a little while longer. Brace yeah. yourself. So moving swiftly yeah. on then, We've story got... number two. Yeah, Ryanair right story, uh, you'll enjoy this. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who like to take uh, some uh, hand baggage oh, God. on flights. Right, uh, okay. Uh, the express.co.uk That's is... That's not the way to talk about your wife. Stop it. She's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> she never listens. She'd be asleep by now if she was. Uh, the Express.co.uk. I actually somebody said in the BFF chat like <laughs> earlier today. It's like Matt, you don't work in the PR department at PTUK, do you? And it's like no, no. I'm, I, I, what did I say? I think I said I was Nev's under underling. I think that's what I said. But indeed, <laughs> 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 anyway. <laughs> Express.co.uk is the paper. The headline is flights. Which budget airline offers the most hand luggage allowance? Is it Ryanair? Europe's four main budget airlines have been pitted against each other to reveal who offers the best options for travellers flying with just hand luggage. Mm. With so many travel bargains on offer, what airline, or which airline, sorry, comes out on top with, with its hand luggage policies? Budget airlines Ryanair, EasyJet, Wizz Air and Jet2 are all renowned for their non-stop flights across the continent, uh, offering travellers a slice of 
adventure uh, for a very appealing cost. However, it isn't uncommon uh, that they t that they make back these savings in other areas, including fees for seats upgrades, hold luggage, and even hand luggage. Uh, this can be particularly troublesome for flyers hoping to jet off with just a carry-on bag. Whether it's at luggage limits or size restrictions, passengers often run into unexpected baggage bothers when uh, that's a mouthful uh, when travelling with low-cost airlines. Uh, however, a recent comparison of Europe's four major, main uh, most popular low-cost carriers has uncovered a helpful hack for passengers hoping to travel light and limit costs. The new research has crowned Jet2 as the airline offering passengers the most for their money when travelling with just hand luggage. The British airline not only offers the largest free carry-on bag option out of the four, it also boasts an additional personal item for free. Mm -hmm. Lucky travellers can benefit for, from one bag totalling 10 kilograms and a maximum size of 56 by 45 by 25 centimetres plus an additional personal item such as a handbag or laptop bag. However, if your flight does happen to be full, the air carrier encourages passengers to load their 10 kilogram bag into the hold for free. The comparison, carried out by the Points Guy UK, uh, goes on to reveal that EasyJet is the second best option for uh, hand luggage only travellers, with Wizz Air coming in third. Um, Ryanair is named as the airline to avoid for travellers, uh, <laughs> hoping to hold on to their cash. Uh, I won't go on uh, with the story, but you get the idea. So, but so, so, so Wizz Air seem to have done fairly well, but EasyJet are the uh, sorry Jet Two are the clear winner. Then when yeah, Ryanair. I tell you what, when we when we flew from Luton <laughs> two weeks ago, um, <laughs> where was that? Sorry, Luton. Okay, yeah, uh, <laughs> the, the Ryanair staff were definitely out in force on the check-in. Were they? Yeah, right. with, the, with like that little wheelie, perhaps they're wheelie, on commission. Yeah, you know, that uh, <laughs> size guide thing. What they yes, sling yes, your case yes, in? Yeah, yeah. And there was a actually my, my last experience was we were flying with Ryanair and they couldn't give a monkeys at Stansted. It was actually the other end. It oh, was actually okay, yeah. in. Uh, it was actually in Rome where they were a bit uh, busy busy that now Nev obviously you've never flown Ryanair have you so you've no idea what we're talking about I, I did once <laughs> did but, you uh, that, that was a very long time ago right okay uh, that was probably on the 737 uh, 200 I think good heavens well. right so that's how long ago it was so, right yeah. yes okay so, any plans to fly um, with them very soon I know you've got a special flight coming up oh uh, no we shan't be flying on that airline no uh, no no no, but, no. Uh, we're off <laughs> Uh, yes, we'll be with the, the BA boys, of course, going to Dubai in November. No, no, you, you, no, no, that's not that's not the flight I'm talking about because you mentioned that oh. there's a rather unusual aircraft that you'll be, which oh, I think yes. most people thought had been retired. <laughs> Next week, well, Air Antwerp have just started up a new London City to Antwerp service, which is great, very handy. Because our sort of European head office is in Antwerp. Okay, good. Perfect. Yes. Um, so I should be flying on the venerable Fokker 50. Pardon, Nev? Uh, <laughs> You're right there. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the Lawnmower with Wings. The Lawnmower with Wings. All <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Yes. Now, I mean, I mean uh, 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 Al, have you even heard of one of these? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been on a Fokker 50. I've been on a Fokker 27. You used to have them in your part of the world. Yeah, Air UK used to fly them. Air UK, yep. wow. There's <laughs> actually there's one at Norwich Airport actually. Is at there the, what, uh, museum. At the yeah, museum. In the yeah. museum. Oh, that's yeah. good, right. <laughs> oh great. Yeah, yeah. anyway, those, uh, uh Nev, perhaps I could trouble you to take the next story, please. Well yeah, this is on the uh, thisismoney.co.uk website and it says that British Airways owner is eyeing up to Thomas Cook's former plane slots oh. at Gatwick as it issues a profit warning triggered by the strike chaos. 
so IAG, which is uh, British Airways' owner, has issued a profit warning after taking a hit from the 48-hour strike action by its pilots earlier this month. The strike cost the group around £121 million and further passenger disruption triggered by threatened strikes by staff at Heathrow Airport has cost the firm just under £300 million to date, meaning that IAG's annual profits will come in lower than expected. And less than a week after Thomas Cook's collapse, uh, IAG's boss has confirmed that it's looking to snap up the stricken holiday group's plane slots at Gatwick Airport. Willie Walsh said if there's slots available, we'll be looking at slots, but through the normal way through the slot pool. But if there's an opportunity to acquire some slots through the administration, we clearly see Gatwick as an opportunity for us, and that is something that we'll be looking at. And uh, after the rescue negotiations failed, uh, as we know, Thomas Cook collapsed on Monday, prom prompting the biggest peacetime repatriation to bring 150,000 British holidaymakers home. And BA is one of a number of airlines helping with repatriation efforts through the release of planes to bring stranded Thomas Cook customers so, uh, home. So, Nev, do they have? Uh, do they? Do BA fly out of out of um, Gatwick much already? Then, or is this? Um... They do. Yes, it's it's mainly for uh, you know holiday type flights, but they've got okay. uh, scheduled the usual scheduled stuff as well. Not not as anywhere near as much as. Um, uh, Heathrow, yeah. um, okay. and they obviously they fly their uh, US flights, the triple uh, seven flights, and, and that kind of thing uh, out, out mm. of um, Gatwick as well. Uh, but um, I'd imagine yeah, so a few other airlines are eyeing up those slots too. Uh, I bet they are. <laughs> uh, any any jump ju jump to mind, Al? <laughs> uh, just about anybody who's already at Gatwick. Oh, okay. So mm, EasyJet, right. uh, Wizz Air. Uh, and anybody else, it'll be interesting to see how um, this all plays out, um, because the the collapse of Monarch uh, set a, a high court precedent in that those those slots can be traded. There was a question oh. mark as to whether they were assets or not. Uh, so that the high court ruling is uh, after the demise of Monarch is that they are they are a tradable asset. Right. Uh, so therefore, that they, they, they have great value. They have value, okay. and I'm, I'm sure Mr. Walsh would like them, and many other people will be too. Well, and presumably, I mean, Gatwick again. I think. It, I mean, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of term, and where, where it's quite renowned for being a, should we say, a congested airport. Mm, uh, <laughs> you know, they're in, in well, need it's of the busiest single runway airport in the world. Right. Yes. So uh, slots, so. therefore, are presumably potentially quite valuable. Uh, Hugely. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Well, so as will the Manchester slots be? Oh yes, of course. Yeah, because that's a busy airport. Yeah, that is true. Mm. Mm. Well, is there anything else you you would like to add to to the story there, Nev? That uh, sorry, I cut you off in your prime a bit there, didn't I? Oh no, that's all right. But um, yeah, it, this is the usual problem, of course, of um, forecasting business. But um, IAG have got the problems that everybody else has of fuel prices mm. and exchange rates, and therefore they expect their 2019 operating profit uh, before exceptional items to be. Uh, 215 million uh, euros uh, lower than uh, the 2018. But still, nevertheless, a profit, so. I assume. Not uh, well, indeed. Uh, but um, I don't know what happens with uh, a lot of airlines kind of hedge fuel, so they actually buy fuel, you know, well ahead of right, time yeah. uh, to try and avoid or offset some of this kind of 
Currency Stuff, yeah. and uh, yeah. fuel price fluctuation. Sorry, I'll. I mean, one fact. Yeah, I was. I was going to say the one factor there is, of course, that the British Airways strike is unresolved at this period in time. True. Yeah. Don't say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. When is your <laughs> flight, gentlemen? Not for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, ah, uh, Captain Al, if you'd like to take the uh, next story, which uh, is quite an interesting story, as uh, you you have obviously uh, uh, may have been in this situation before uh, with an airline and flown with with young children. Yes, this is from CNN Travel. You, are you impressed there? How I was able to just pick oh, up that and. <laughs> Uh, so uh, this is from CNN Travel, and it's uh, airline introduces baby seat map to allow passengers to avoid infants. Oh dear! Every traveller, every traveller, excuse me, has their pet peeves, but crying babies are almost guaranteed to grate. <laughs> now Japan Airlines has revealed a new tool that lets you dodge infants when you book your seat. Passengers travelling with children between eight days and two years old who select their seats on the JAL website will have a child icon displayed on their seats on the seat selection screen, reads the airline's website. This lets uh, other passengers know a child may be sitting there. Uh, one Twitter user praised the feature following a recent flight. Thank you, JAL JP, for warnings me the way your babies plan to scream and yell during the 13-hour trip. Uh, before baby phobes get too excited, Japan Airline cautions that the baby nap map will not display child icons in certain situations. It only works for bookings made through JAL's website, for example, and icons will not display if there's a change in aircraft. If you're taking a small child on your trip, JAL offers a number of services to make your experience better. The airline provides a number of strollers for rent in the airport and will accept baby strollers, this is push chairs for anybody who's not American, as checked baggage for free. Passengers travelling with infants also enjoy priority boarding and offers hot water for bottles as well as nappy changing facilities on board. Okay, interesting story. Can anybody see the potential problem with this? <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't like it, full stop, if what, I'm honest what, with you. What kids? <laughs> okay, I, I have, as, as a parent of a, a young child, not necessarily a child fitting into uh, this age group, have an issue with this, um, and I don't want to um, be unduly pessimistic and judgmental. Is there, I mean, is, this not a, is there a possibility this, that, this, that somebody could essentially on purpose choose to sit Yes, well, it, does I mean, this not expose makes... your child to a paedophile? Well, it, indeed, <laughs> indeed, this is. So, I'm not entirely certain that this is legally thought out. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not so sure about it breaks any laws, but um, uh, most um, parents are reasonably protective of their children, and um, whilst I can see that this appeases some people, I think it opens up the airline to some serious issues. Mm. Absolutely, I, I you know I don't, don't don't get me wrong. I was just saying, I don't. I, 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 my idea of of being very miserable essentially would be stuck next to someone who's screaming <laughs> screaming their their lungs out. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's not their fault, is it? Uh, you know, they they the 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 mum and dad have a right to go on holiday and you know and enjoy a bit of quality time. And if you can't put up with, you know, if you can't put up with it for you know five or six hours, which is the average 
length of a flight and stuff. I, you know, I don't know whether yeah, some people just need to chill out, don't they? I mean, I might be mistaken here, but weren't we all babies? Oh no, oh, no, absolutely no. not. No, no I, I never cried. That idea. <laughs> yes, yes, of course you're right, Al. I, I completely agree, and I dare, I dare say we were all screaming. You, Carlos, perhaps not. I, I was, I always screamed on on our flight if I wasn't oh, allowed you? to go at the flight deck. Of course, yes. Yeah. But you do that now, don't you? Yeah, well, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you go on the uh, the flight deck on your Ryanair flight? Uh, no, I had a chat with the FO when he was coming out for a pee halfway across to Malta. But um... oh yeah, yeah, we love that when people pounce on us just as we're trying to go for a slash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the amusing thing was that the amusing thing was they 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 put the uh, fasten seatbelt sign on yes. to make everyone sit down, and then he came out. So I thought, well, I'll get up and have a chat with him. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the seatbelt sign yeah. was on, you very disobedient individual, you. Yeah, but to be fair, he did a, he had a chat with me. He was, was quite did he? Nice. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. He humoured to... you. You mean he yeah. humoured you? Yeah. All right. Exactly. He was a young. He was young. He was yeah. young. Okay. Was... Oh, perhaps he. Perhaps he hasn't given. Perhaps he doesn't mind still. Then Al. Perhaps there's hope. You know. Perhaps he still does. No, okay. I mean, he, you know, there will come a point you where pilot, it, you pilots are supposed to appreciate us. Uh, why? Why do they have to appreciate? As you say, they're probably desperately in need. Well, of people who accost you when you're trying to go to the gents. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, desperate to go to the loo, and then you've got this plane geek that wants to talk okay, about right, flights right, and landings. Right, right, right. And did you have to fly VFR? And did you have to? You know, no, I mean, no, honestly, no, 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 no. Do you anyway, ask some questions like that? What was no, the landing not at all. like? No, right, no. okay. Go on then, what sort of questions do you... So, all right, uh, Al's desperate to go to the loo, <laughs> right? He's literally rocked up. He's, he's literally got up thinking, right, I need to go and have uh, visit the gentleman's room. And then this aviation geek, a.k.a. Carlos, uh, accosts poor Al, uh, who's desperate to have just a sandwich because he hasn't eaten for like six hours or something silly, and that, yeah. we all know, is a record. Um, what, <laughs> so, so what is the first question you would ask? So, that, so Al's stood here right now. What's the first thing you... You'd ask him. Come here often? Please be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you come here often. Okay. All right. Anyway, moving swiftly on. You haven't uh, answered my question. Before we the... move on, I've, yeah. I've actually seen this happen with my very eyes in a, in a hotel at Heathrow. I'll keep the story fairly short. I was just there in, in, in civilian clothes, and it's a hotel that's frequented by a lot of uh, uh, BA crew. And there was this poor British Airways uh, captain in his uniform. He was just having his breakfast before obviously going to report for his flight. So he had his uniform on for expediency. And it was one of those uh, hotels where breakfast is a buffet. And the poor chap had got his plate and he put everything on his plate. And he was just on the way back to his table to sit down and eat it. And uh, a guy accosted him and wanted to talk to him. And he ended up talking to him for 15 minutes about where he was going. And, of course, with all due credit to the BA guy, he fully, you know, did the, you know, to fly to serve routine. And he humoured this guy up <laughs> until the point where his entire breakfast went cold. Oh, no. And eventually the, 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 uh, the, the customer, the other guy, said, OK, I'll, I'll let you uh, enjoy your breakfast. And the, the captain, I could just see him looking his, you know, shriveled up sausage <laughs> and his congealing bacon. I, I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, 
so, so, so yes. So if you're going to accost a pilot by the toilet, at least yes. have the grace to do it when they've come out. Yes, not as they're trying to go in. So come on, you have an answer. When they shake my... you with a wet, when they shake your hand with a wet hand, yes, just trust that it's water. Okay? Right, okay. it doesn't matter whether <laughs> okay. it's not. Even though, yeah, nobody's trying to get their own back on you. I promise. So come on then. What 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 things would you ask a pilot when you get up to the? You can't, you know. Come on, let's do some role play here. So Al's just walked out of the thing. Mash is very excited about the op- option of ro- role play. By the way, so we're gonna we're gonna see this through to the end. I all right, you want I the answer? Care. I all do. Right, yeah, okay. absolutely. Right, so right. Al's standing all there. Right. So Al's just got up because he's desperate for a slash. <laughs> so given the chance to fly any aircraft, albeit oh. retired or still flying, go away. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, uh, Senor, uh, uh, me me not speak a lot of English. Uh, you, you, you you need bathroom, sir. <laughs> Genius. Okay. Oh, anyway, right, right. Moving okay. swiftly. Yes, on. I think I th- the good news is I know the what next our, story. Our, no, no, no. I was thinking I know what our show title is going to be this week. It's going to be episode two eight eight shriveled up sausage. That's so moving on, moving from one, <laughs> from, moving from one subject of toilet humour onto the next story, which is right. on the. USAToday.com site and the headline Bring on the toilet or bring on the bathroom humour. Right. United passenger stuck in the bathroom mid flight. So this wasn't a pilot, this was a passenger. So uh, visiting visiting the bathroom mid flight is hardly a pleasant experience. Especially not on a Ryanair flight. But getting stuck in there is a whole kind You really of... didn't enjoy it, did you? No, not at all. <laughs> The United Airlines passenger found out the hard way on a flight to San Francisco on Wednesday this week. Flight 1554 from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco diverted to Denver to assist a customer who was stuck in the toilet when the lavatory door or toilet door became inoperative. Uh, United spokeswoman Andrea Hillier confirmed to USA Today. The passenger was safely removed from the lavatory after landing, and customers have since continued on to their destination, they said. Uh, the flight, uh, which left uh, Washington later on that day, landed in Denver. Was and she they... stuck there from Monday till Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody so, knew she was there. Sorry, I'm laughing because Neil Lamworth just said, the first thing I saw when I logged back into PTUK's chat room was Nev's shriveled up sausage. Enough said, really. So the... Uh, <laughs> It's a bit cold for the time of year. Oh, good point. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, carry on, Carlos. Do, I'm do, just do. trying to figure out how, how this person got stuck in because the, there is a sliding bolt mechanism on Maybe most toilets. Maybe the mechanism failed. Well, possibly, I suppose. But <laughs> I think the cabin crew have the ability to, to lock those um, lavatories, you know. Yeah, but if the mechanism has failed, yeah. perhaps they can't undo it from the outside either. I mean, that's... You know. There is something called an axe, but apparently that's a bit extreme. Right. I, quite a lot of damage, I suppose, if you start hacking away at the door, I guess. Well, I suppose it's comfortable. I suppose you sit down, you've got a seat, and you've got somewhere to, to, to Yeah, no seatbelt, though, in the event of a landing. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm a bit surprised about this, because there are, there are more than one way of unlocking the door. Actually, Owen's just said that in the chat room, he said... Yeah, and to be perfectly honest, I mean, they're, they're, they're no more sort of robust than an MFI wardrobe, so, you know, a, a good size nine on it should have right. the thing open. okay, <laughs> that's true, yes. Yeah, one is on the I locker mean, you pack. Can remove, yeah, you can remove the hinge for them anyway. Yeah, so, well, and that's, it. that's exactly what Owen says. One is on the lock and the, other, the second one is on the hinge, so... Uh, so there yeah. we are. So there, there must have been a reason why they couldn't get in uh, the way the way that you, you thought. So the next story, Matt. I mean, clearly oh, no. Hong Kong Fooey wasn't on board the flight for the, you know. 
yes, drop that, kick through there. Right. Yes. That that is that's not something I'd thought of. Anyway, so the uh, the actually you sent me this story I think earlier this week, Matt. Oh, possibly. I, through, I, yeah. I did do that. Did mm. I? You did. Yeah. Do it. Oh, oh, it's asking me for an email address. Just click off the page. It will come. Click off the page. Oh, okay. Go. Very good. Lovely. I know. Excellent. Somebody's giving me some... Carlos giving me IT tips. How I know. frightening. <laughs> anyway, Slovenian Airline is... Uh, so this is on the Star Tribune website. And Slovenian Airline given a week to sort out financial woes. So obviously we're talking, we were talking about Thomas Cook earlier. Um, uh, in Slovenia, Slovenia's aviation agency has given troubled Adria... Is it Adria Air? It is, yeah. Airways? Adria. Adria. Adria Airways. Adria. A week to present a financial plan to keep its license after the cash strap carrier suspended all but one of its flights this week. Uh, Rock Maralt, uh, the head of the civil, civil Aviation Agency, said Wednesday the company's permit will be revoked without delay if it fails to provide the required documentation by the 2nd of October. Uh, the the Slovenia-based carrier on Tuesday suspended the flights for two days and on Wednesday extended the suspension until Friday, saying it will keep only the evening flight to Frankfurt the most important hub. Formerly Slovenia's national carrier, um, uh, the air airline uh, was sold in 2016 to German investment fund 4K Invest. Slovenian media have reported that thousands of passengers have been affected by the suspension. So that's that doesn't sound like particularly good news. Do you know, I can re uh, remember, this is one of the first air, uh, airlines that I flew with as a child. Uh, really? Yeah, um, this was back in the... In the mid '80s, when dark, I went dark to dark ages, yes. yeah. When I when I flew to Yugoslavia, I remember flying flying with this airline. Mm. But um, no, it's uh, it says actually looking at some of the stuff online, it says that they they actually may well have completely ceased all operations on the 25th of September. But, oh wow! But whether they're still uh, still going or going or not, yeah. I don't well, know. what they did was they 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 suspended operations for a couple of days because uh, they were desperately trying to. Um, to, to sort out their, their money situation, so they've mm. been given a state, effectively a stay of execution. Um, but um, you know, again, going back to what we were talking earlier on in the show, and I very much hope that this isn't the case. But the writing is on the wall. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't sound good, does it? It's uh, anyway. We'll uh, we'll move on to the next story. Nev, uh, Nev, good news. It's simple flying, which means a, a nice, tech one. pleasing font for you. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I think we're going to give at least a seven and a half out of ten for the font. Oh, very uh, good for, yes. for this week. So uh, not not too bad. Not Can you name the font? It, um, <laughs> no, but the way my glasses are operated, today, it looks like windings or something. Windings. Although okay. that would be a good that would be a good aviation font. It would. It yes, windings. Yes, it'd be a little. It'd be like trying to read hieroglyphics. However, but <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, um, but it does say that um, Emirates becomes the first international airline to use biometric boarding on their US-bound oh. hmm. flights. Interesting. Uh, and so the US Customs and Border Patrol, uh, CBP, approved the Dubai-based airline for facial recognition boarding on flights to their 12 destinations in the United States. Customers, however, will not be required to use the system if they are not comfortable with this method. Uh, the development was announced in a press release from the airline. Uh, Emirates passengers will have the option to opt in for biometric boarding. The system is designed to save on the time it takes to board some of their massive aircraft like the A380 for example. Uh, the system will identify passengers based on facial recognition technology. This is similar to what I can Delta identify Airlines... the passenger in that picture. It's the one on the right. 
Yep, that's it. Can't, can't argue with that, Al. Yeah. There she is. Okay. Great logic. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Give me the $200 million that this has cost, and I'll do this for you daily. Yeah, yeah passenger, yeah, passenger, yeah, passenger. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, this is similar to what uh, Delta Airlines and American Airlines have done at some of their hubs. Uh, Emirates made it clear that the CBP will manage the data and not the airline itself. If passengers choose this system for boarding, Emirates will not store any biometric data from the customers. However, some passengers may still have privacy concerns. Uh, the system itself will match the photo of the passenger taken at the boarding gate with the CBP's record of the passenger. In real time, the system will be able to verify the person's identity in two seconds or less. Unfortunately, passengers who do not have records in the CBP's database will need a manual check at the gate. Uh, over the course of July and August, Emirates tested the system on flights to New York and Los Angeles from their hub in Dubai. According to the carrier, these tests were a success. Several flights uh, hit 100% biometric boarding, which means zero manual checks. Uh, Emirates expect the final equipment to be in place by the end of this year, and the airline should be able to offer 100% uh, biometric boarding abilities on U all US-bound flights from early next year. Uh, these include uh, the following destinations, which are New York for JFK and Newark, Boston, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, Seattle, Washington, D.C., Orlando, and Fort Lauderdale. Uh, since some of these flights are operated by uh, A380s, biometric boarding should help Emirates reduce the amount of time it takes to board an aircraft. Although this may not significantly help with congestion inside the aircraft, nevertheless, the time savings may stack up and end up being beneficial for the UAE carrier, although it's unclear to what extent. Uh, furthermore, this may end up reducing Emirates' need for gate agents, which could result in a reduction in personnel. Mm. So, uh, we'll Interesting story. I guess that they don't have too many people dressed up as Batman and Robin going on their stag do um, Good point. in Dubai. No, no, I, I, dare, I dare say yeah. not, no. Uh, I mean, as, as um, I'm trying to think, Richard Adams made a, a, an interesting point actually in the uh, in in the chat room here, sort of suggesting perhaps um, uh, this could cause problems with what I call the more traditional dress. If you're a lady, certainly in um, uh, Dubai, that could be a, an issue. If you are, um, uh, <laughs> that could be a bit challenging. Oh, uh, good news by the way, Nev. Uh, Chris Griggs says it's open sands. On Simple Flying ah, is the font, excellent. by the way. <laughs> I'm pleased about that. Yeah, we it's like an that. excellent font. Uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Moving swiftly on to uh, the next story. Oh, okay. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carlos, Carlos, okay. Clearly, Carlos clearly wasn't impressed by that. <laughs> what, open sand? Was it, was, it was it my poor Batman and Robin joke? I don't know. We, we, one's never sure. I don't think Carlos well, is listening. It does involve the word dinner, 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 dinner. Yeah, well, I've eaten mine. Hungry? I've had the kebab. You're no. hungry, are you? No, okay. I had to. Oh, right, sorry. Uh, Lane Street says, Bookman Old Fan, I am. He says that's, he okay. likes his mm, font. Yeah. yeah. That's a good, that's an excellent choice of Comic Sans for me. Comic Sans? Uh, yeah. Futura Bold for me, actually. Oh, I see. Oh, you like something that stands out, do you? Yes, okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Comic Sans for you, really? Mm. That does kind of tell its own story, Carlos, I've got to mm. be honest. It okay. does. Yes. Anyway, next story. Uh, Al. <laughs> Airbus story for Ooh. you. Uh, on yes, the, fantastic. Uh, this comes from the Business Insider. Uh, it and it's JetBlue's first Airbus A321neo has finally arrived. 
Here's why the airline and passengers are so excited for it. <laughs> JetBlue's very gagging for it. They are gagging it. for it. Right. JetBlue has finally begun to fly its first Airbus 321neo. The airline has been eagerly awaiting the new efficient jet since it placed an order, that must be placed an order, for the 85 jets in October 2011. With a 15 to 20% boost in fuel efficiency over the previous generation of A321 jets, known as the A321CO, or current engine option, the A321neo, new engine option, just in case you didn't know, <laughs> also boasts a 500 nautical mile increase in range. Unfortunately, production delays at Airbus have meant that deliveries have been delayed. Although 13 of the aircraft were contractually scheduled to be delivered through 2019, JetBlue's president, Joanna Geraghty, said on, on a July call with the investors that the airline expects to receive just six of the new aircraft this year. We are very disappointed with the continued delays to our A321neo program as a result of the Airbus production issues, JetBlue CEO Robin Hay said during the call. However, JetBlue received the first A321neo in late June and after two weeks of test flights on a variety of routes, the airline is ready to officially launch the plane into service. JetBlue's new A321neo boasts features such as the widest and most comfortable seats available for this aircraft type and a host of thoughtful design elements that are meant to enhance customer comfort and help our crew members deliver award-winning service, said Hayes. Business Insider had a chance to tour the plane before it entered regular service, and we were seriously impressed. <laughs> Take a look below for a walkthrough of the impressive new jet, which gives an idea of what all JetBlue jets will look like soon. And now I was I was gonna I've been putting up some photographs as uh, as you were reading that story Al um, uh, if but just just uh, apropos of nothing if anybody is uh, hasn't updated to the new version of Windows 10 yet by the way for your own sake please don't because um, it bug bugs don't even cover it right yeah. now um, both me and Carl are having problems here in the studio this evening as a result of said Windows 10 update so if you haven't updated yet don't bother is uh, what what I would advise. So, uh, yeah, I'm frankly. But what I will that. say is, from yes. those pictures you did put up, yes, before the, your, the, the your three that I was able collapsed. to share. Yes, okay, yes. There is there's there's a hell of a lot of leg room in these uh, in these. Is that a here. lot of leg room? In the pic, whether it's just with the way the picture's been taken or not, it, it is a, a quite a sizable amount of leg. And in that row that they show on the picture, you've nearly got a, a window and a half at least uh, for the person who's sitting on the window seat, which I think is quite good. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Google people, um, how many seats does the uh, JetBlue uh, A321neo have? Let's, the chat room uh, will know. The chat room. Will yeah, know. we'll leave that one to the chat yeah. room, shall we? Yes, come on, chat room. Have you um, have you flown the uh, Neo yet, Al? No, I have not. No. Okay. Um, but I believe it's fantastic. I've been on it as a passenger numerous times. Hmm. Um, but, um, is, that, is it something possibly that um, your airline may look to get? Possibly, do you know? We've we've got them. Oh, you've got them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We 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 are operating uh, a few. I forget exactly how many, and uh, we've taken the last delivery of one of our uh, CEOs. 
So all future deliveries, all 180 of them, will be Neos. Okay, so you, you're, are you just waiting to go on the, the course, or is it something that you... Oh, no, no, I've done the course. Oh, you've done the course, done the okay. course. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a very simple, straightforward course. Um, because at the... Uh, the aeroplane is is very 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 similar to a CEO, so it's just a, a very simple okay. half a day of electronic learning. It's uh, uh, nothing particularly exciting uh, about it in that sense, from a differences point of view. Um, but uh, but from a fuel saving point of view and a range point of view, uh, it's amazing aeroplane. Mm, well, that's okay. good to know. So the next story is a bit more um, exciting, I think, this next story. On The Sun, uh, obviously one of the best newspapers oh, right. in the UK, <laughs> thesun.co.uk. Uh -huh. And uh, the headline, we're on fire. Oh, good. Panicked passengers <laughs> rush from burning 767 after failed landing in Russia. Well, I don't think the landing failed, because it actually did land, but it looks like it. Anyway, pa uh, panicked passengers were evacuated from a burning 767 at the end of a packed tourist flight from Vietnam. One of the wheels went up in flames after a loud bang on a failed landing in the Russian city of Barnol, uh, prompting a full-scale emergency as the aircraft made its second attempt. Smoke swirled through the rear part of the passenger cabin as the aircraft landed, said reports. Uh, a woman passenger on the seven-hour flight said that somebody shouted, We're on fire! And then there was chaos Did as they? people rushed forward and started pushing each other. Oh, what a surprise. I'm surprised, <laughs> they, I'm surprised they weren't getting their cases out of the overhead bins. Lane Street says, isn't a failed landing a crash? Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. <laughs> uh, There are a total of 56 injuries uh, of passengers who were ordered to flee the plane using the emergency slides, one of which failed to properly open during the evacuation. Oh, uh, they were instructed by the crew to uh, run... Uh, 650 feet exactly from the burning Azure Air 767-300ER. Oh, I wonder if they've got tape measures in. 650 feet. It's very specific, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, they were 300. Uh, what does that convert to in metres? That will probably uh, give you a, a reason as to why it's quite a precise amount. A few. Oh. Right. Matt, Matt will do that now. Um, I'm actually, sorry, Nev will see what that is. Actually, Nev will find yes. out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, one male passenger said that people were in panic at the start when the <laughs> steward said that we have to get out as quickly as possible. Women were screaming. A woman tourist, Mariana Shulenko, said that there were no injuries during the actual landing, but there were during the evacuation. Right. There okay. was panic, crowding, bruised legs, broken legs. It was really harsh, she said. Let, let me guess. People had their luggage with they them. They were probably wheeling their luggage <laughs> yeah, down the aisles. Absolutely. That's the only reason people got injured. because Firefighters reacted quickly. The aircrew were also great. A stewardess yelled in different languages and threw people off onto the gangway. <laughs> right. Videos show passengers screaming as the, uh, they emerged from the stricken aircraft onto the snow-covered tarmac. Reports said that flames were seen from the landing gear uh, of one wheel as the 28-year-old aircraft made its second approach. The evacuation took five minutes. Uh, the fire was extinguished 11 minutes after landing it was reported and most of the injured were treated by emergency medical teams at the airport. Others were moved to hospitals. Two had broken bones, a woman had suffered spine and kidney injury and seven ambulance teams were at the scene. The Russian plane had flown from Camera in Vietnam and the airline said Thanks to the professionalism and orchestrated actions of the Azure crew and passengers, uh, they were all evacuated. A preliminary investigation was launched by the Russian authorities into the incident, and uh, it's uh, safe to say that, well, this is, uh, 
one of those flights, I think, where um, things didn't quite go to plan on the evacuation by the sounds of it, with uh, people getting injured. It seems to always be that people, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an incident like this where the aircraft actually does get down and lands reasonably safely, that people just tend to get injured and, and stuff on the a actual evacuation. Why yeah, is this? It's not being funny. Is it because they've got their suitcases with them? It could possibly be, yes. Yes, they're carrying Well, on. you see, the, the, the thing with evacuating an aeroplane is that it is just a mechanism to get people off expediently. It's not a, uh, a mechanism to get people off without injury. So anytime you evacuate an aeroplane, there is the expectation that there will be injuries. Minor in nature, generally, but that will happen. It's just a matter of uh, fact. So, um, you know, the decision to evacuate is quite a big one and an important one. And it's an irreversible decision. Once you've started to evacuate, you can't stop the evacuation. So, yeah, that's what happens. If you evacuate, um, people get hurt. Uh, but it's generally better than um, being stuck on a, on a burning aeroplane if that happens to be the case. Well, that is, that is very true. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, as I say, and we're constantly carrying... I mean, although it doesn't actually say in this case, and there's certainly no vid video evidence, of the, as I say, we're just playing the video there of... Uh, oh, Tanya W. Yeah. Hello, Tanya, in the chat room. It says, according to Seat Guru, it looks like JetBlue, the 321neo, has 200 seats. Oh, very good. 42 even more space and 158 regular. Oh, very good. There we go. So there will be a lot of leg room then. Hmm. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And Lane Street in the chat room says, I thought you were supposed to be able to evacuate a plane in 90 seconds. Hmm. That's for certification purposes, yes. Hmm. Okay. Um, but uh, the, the other thing I was going to say is that people who complain about you know minor injuries after evacuating an aeroplane are a bit like the people who complain that their airbag in their car has gone off and that you know they've got some you know <laughs> yeah it's going there to cost is a them reason a fortune, yeah. to, yes there is a reason as to why the airbag went off and you should count yourself lucky, lucky yeah absolutely because they don't go off very easily could you easily. not refer to my wife as an airbag gal it's a bit anyway so yes, okay matt yes. oh Oh dear, you're going to ask me to read a story. Oh, uh, well, I thought I might do this. This uh, one is uh, good news for Boeing as it's. Uh, okay, this is to do with the Dreamliner, yes? Yes. Okay, so this is on the Business Traveller website. What, the Dreamwrecker? That's the one, yes. Let's see what we did there. Uh, Air New Zealand finalises order for eight Boeing 787 10 Dreamliners. Air New Zealand has finalised an order for eight Boeing 787 Dreamliner aircraft. I do hate it when they do that, where they do the, head, the headline and then. Anyway, the new the New Zealand flag carrier will integrate uh, the largest Dreamliner model into its fleet of Boeing 787-9 and Boeing 777 aircraft from 2022 to strategically grow its business, Boeing said in a press release. The deal, announced on Monday uh, as a commitment uh, and... Uh, the deal announced in May as a commitment and worth $2.7 billion at list prices includes options to increase the number of aircraft from 8 to up to 20 and substitution rights that allow a switch from the larger 787-10 to the smaller 787-9s or a combination of the two models for future fleet and network flexibility. This is an exciting decision for our business and our customers as we deliver on our commitment to grow our business sustainably uh, with the 787-10 offering um, 
around 15% more space for both customers and cargo than the 787-9. This investment creates the platform for our future strategic direction and opens up new opportunities to grow, said the Air New Zealand Chief Executive Officer Christopher Luxon. The 787-10 is 224 feet long, 68 metres, and can seat up to 330 passengers in a standard two-class configuration, around 40 more than the 787-9. Air New Zealand was a global launch customer for the 787-9 and today operates 13 of the Dreamliner variant with another 787-9 on the way and the 787-10 airplanes. In the future, the airline's Dreamliner fleet is on track to grow to 22. The new Dreamliner aircraft will replace Air New Zealand's fleet of eight 777-200ERs and uh, Air New Zealand's wide-body fleet also includes seven 777-300ERs. These are the guys that have these these amazing uh, safety videos. Yes. They've, they've yes, just released they another new oh, one as they? well yeah, with the, uh, the rugby team, Ooh. Uh, which is quite amusing. Actually, I think Emirates have done a, an interesting TV advert, haven't they? With, um, oh, yeah, they have, with yeah. The, with the Welsh... Um, um, Rugby uh, referee, I've forgotten his name. He's, he's Al should know. Uh, yeah, Al will probably know when he, but uh, <laughs> no. Nigel, Nigel Owen. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely brilliant. As he runs through the cabin, blows his whistle, and tells someone off for doing something. Love it. Uh, yes. Anyway, sorry. Uh, we mentioned sport there. I do apologise, Carlos. Um, no, no, no. Well, I mean, it, it, the Rugby World Cup is on. So now that you've mentioned it, let's talk about the uh, the. So rugby moving on World to Cup, the so. next story, which is non-football related. Football. Rugby, anything, it's all, <laughs> oh it's all the same me. rubbish. Yes, I assume you'll be getting... Are you able to watch it tomorrow, by the way? Because you're, you're playing tomorrow, aren't you? Well, not you personally, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll be watching. I've been watching most of the games. Mm. Um, mm. Well, one of the benefits of, um, of where I am is that... Uh, this has been mentioned uh, before. Uh, the internet in uh, Romania is good, so... Um, uh, the uh, the hotel that I'm at at the moment, uh, the the download speed is is uh, well, it's it's 500 meg. Good limit. Right. But... Okay. <laughs> okay. Nev, how do we get that in your place? How can we... they... <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it must be a uh, fiber. There is connection. a premium service, um, but oh. I didn't see the point in. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Yes, it didn't, it didn't seem worth the investment. Let's be honest. Uh, this it, is... it, it, it's a little bit of a of a running joke in in Romania at the moment, uh, in so much as that to outcompete the other hotels, it's who's got the fastest internet, and I'm happy to take part in that. that well, quite right, absolutely. It's a, it's a yeah. win all always. Yeah, so, I mean, you're uh, happy to monitor their connection for them, aren't you? That's essentially. Yeah, what, yeah it's yeah. only 250 meg up, but 500 oh. down. Oh dear. <laughs> I'd kill for those kind of speeds, but anyway, anyone from okay. BT watching, yeah, yeah, yeah. take note. Yeah, please go to Romania and find out how yeah. they do it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm guessing there's not a copper cable in sight. Uh, oh no, no, not at all. <laughs> no, no, indeed. So, uh, yeah. blimey, um, Nev, uh, next story for you on simple flying, and uh, I think this is something that we, well, I wouldn't dread, but some people would dread. Mm. Well, Al and I had the pleasure of going on the A220 aircraft when it was uh, oh, yes. at Farnborough and had a yeah, nice lovely. chat with the folks on there. And it was a superb plane, and which would be great for short haul, short or medium haul operations, you would think. But now Airbus are considering using this for a transatlantic oh, really? uh, route. 
It says, with narrow-body aircraft already comfortably undertaking medium-haul missions, it's only a matter of time before these small, efficient jets begin branching out into true long-haul ops as well. Aside of the 737 MAX and the A321 XLR, that's the one with the nice headphone connector on it, um, there's one other, other aircraft that seems to have all the uh, necessaries to become a true long-hauler, the A220. But will it ever go transatlantic? Well, Back in January, Simple Flying speculated that the A220 had the capabilities to fly transatlantic. Having been granted the 180-minute extended ETOPS, which stands, as we all know, for engines turn or passengers swim, uh, London to New York suddenly became a possibility for the aircraft, something that Air, uh, Airbus was keen to point out. Then in May of this year, Airbus announced a boost to the maximum takeoff weight of the A220-100, uh, £5,000 in total. This would enable more fuel to be carried and leading to an increase in range to the tune of around 500 miles. So this took the operating range of the A220-100 to 3,900 miles and the larger A220-300 to 3,850 miles. Uh, the combination of the ETOPS and extension to the range makes the 220 more than capable of, of doing the flight. In fact, it opens up a whole raft of potential destinations, far greater than just New York to London. The question is, would anyone want to fly it? Well, right now, um, the longest flight uh, records on an A220 are held by Swiss for the 100 series and by Air Baltic for the 300 series. Swiss covers uh, 1,314 miles in three hours and 50 minutes between Moscow and Geneva. And Air Baltic's 2,359 mile marathon stretches from Riga to Abu Dhabi and is scheduled at five hours and 50 minutes. Um, so uh, if, for instance, JetBlue uh, took transatlantic flights using the AT20, uh, A220, perhaps from its base at New York JFK to one of the London airports, this would take in around 3,451 miles of Great Circle distance, which is approximately 46% longer than the current longest flight. So applying some beer mat maths to this, would put the flight time at around uh, eight and a half hours. Uh, that's a long time on a narrow body by anybody's standards. Mm. But with the A321 XLR on the horizon, it's something that people ought to be looking at. So uh, I'm not going to read the whole story because it does go on for some time. But um, obviously, we, we like the A220, brilliant aircraft, very nicely uh, fitted out inside. But um, would you want to do transatlantic on that aircraft? That's the question. I mean, so here is the, the, the answer to that. The, <laughs> the size of the aircraft, whether it be wide body or narrow body, doesn't really come into this, does it? It really comes into the fit of the aeroplane. Because BA have operated a narrow body aircraft from London City to New York for quite some time. Mm. And you don't hear many people complaining about it, do you? No, true. that's true. Very yeah, true. that's because it's going. To, it's only got thirty-four or thirty-six yeah. seats in it. That's yeah, why. right. So yeah. that's the point. It's not a wide body, narrow body yeah. argument. Yeah. It's yeah. a seat yeah. density argument. Yeah. Because okay, some people will say, well, the A220 and the A321 aren't as fast as a seven four seven. Okay, but relatively speaking, this probably only makes ten or fifteen minutes difference on a London to New York. So. Most people will quite happily pay quite considerable amount less and say, well, it's going to take 15 minutes long. Whoopee-doo, that's not the be-all and end-all of it. 
Um, you know, let's look at the bottom line of the cost of the tickets. So I think it all comes down to really how the aircraft are configured yeah. rather than narrow body, wide body, 220, 787. So, yes, it's an interesting one. Do I think that the 220 will fly transatlantic? Almost certainly, but probably more in a VIP type config mm. rather than okay. however many it can carry. I don't know, it carries a, I don't know. What, what's the capacity of this thing when it's fully fitted? Does anybody know? I'm probably about a hundred or something like that. I don't know. It's about 100, 110 seats, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I doubt very much that it's going to be 110 seats going across the Atlantic. Of course, it does make yeah. it possible to operate to um, slightly smaller markets. Um, so, mm. for example, just throwing just a random one out there, um, Cardiff to New York, it's not a big market. Uh, so mm. that, that becomes an option. So it's going to be interesting to see. But for me, it's no different wide body, narrow body. It's, it's not about the girth. It's about the comfort, isn't it? Uh, well, indeed. Wow. <laughs> indeed. And, and there, I think, is a perfect place to end this particular story. Uh, we'll, uh, whilst well, before uh, the DTI close you down. Yeah, indeed, that's right, yes. Uh, so perhaps, Al, I could trouble you to take the final story, please. <laughs> oh yes, okay. Now I'm not. I'm not that actually um, switched on here. Hang oh, on. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was doing. I, I, I knew you'd try to catch me out in the end, but yeah. Well, um, to be fair, you've surprised me throughout the entire show so far. Where you done a longer <laughs> segue. Longer segue. Oh, sorry. Is that my fault? Is it? Yes. Oh, sorry, uh, Carlos. How? So this will be the story from Flight Global. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Yeah. 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 yeah, the Russians are building a new passenger. Yeah. Are they? Right. All right. Well, you've <laughs> the just Russians done the story. Thanks for yeah. that. All yeah. right. There we go then. <laughs> You, you, you've, you've taken it from me. Honestly. You, you can have it now, Carlos. You can have it. I'm but not interested <laughs> in it anymore. You, it's yours. All right? Yeah, you see, honestly. Mr. Smarty see, Pants. This is, oh, the, oh, this oh, is yeah. the trouble, you see. It's like, you know, when the talent can be very precious, you see, this is what... <laughs> I'm not doing it now, darling. No, okay, right. <clears throat> okay. Increases fees. I'm off to the green room. <laughs> okay, Increases right. fees. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Would yes. you like me to do it? Yes, please, would, yes, please. That would be marvelous. Okay. So a Russian manufacturer, Vaso, who frankly I've never ever heard of, but that's nothing new, has completed joining the first airframe for the new Aleutian I-96. It's the IL-96, isn't it? Derivative. Vaso describes the event as a significant step in the project to develop a passenger variant of the Aleutian 96 400T freighter, designated the 400M. Surely that should be the 400P if it's going to be passenger. Anyway, True, yeah. the airframe will shortly move to the final assembly line, says Vaso. It expects systems integration to be completed by the end of 2020. The first Aleutian 96 400M flight is scheduled for 2021. Like the cargo version, the aircraft will be powered by four enhanced Avia Divicali PS90A1 engines. With a fuselage of 9.65 meters longer than the baseline Aleutian 96 300s, the new airliner is set to accommodate about 400 passengers. The Aleutian 96 400M project is largely sponsored by the government 
and Vasso envisages building six examples. Its parent, United Aircraft, deems the aircraft crucial to preserving domestic competencies in building long-haul, wide-bodied transports. Do we have a picture of the thing or not? <laughs> of of no. the thing. It's probably quite ugly, so we'll just move on. There appears to be no picture on the post, I'm afraid, otherwise I would, uh, I would put it up. But no, no, there is no picture. N not deemed worthy enough, clearly. <laughs> I'm just surprised they've chosen to to uh, pick an old sort of frame as this because the uh, the Illusion 96 has been around for um, for quite a while actually. Um, this was uh, 1992. Gosh, this okay. was the first they um, flew, but obviously uh, they want to try and break into a market that's already heavily dominated by uh, Boeing and Airbus. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, I'm not entirely certain that converting a freighter into a passenger <laughs> aircraft is the way to go. Well, it usually goes the other way, doesn't it? It's usually a passenger yeah, aircraft well, that's converted into a freighter. Yeah, I mean, usually it's just a case of, you know, painting over the windows, taking the seats out, and, you know, Bob's <laughs> your auntie, there you go, chuck the containers in there. When you've got to cut holes in the side of the aeroplane, because, you know, traditionally people like to look out. Yes, I don't yes. think this is... Is it going to be the, the step in technology that, you know, allows for digital windows, you know, <laughs> choose where you'd like to look at. Will, Would you true. like clouds or non-clouds? Um, Stare so, from uh, the underneath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if they're planning on making six, it's not a large production run, is it? No, OK. It may, it may be just be tester, I suppose. Perhaps they'll just sort of see if there's any interest. They they do like to sort of do sort of copycat um, um craft though don't they they you know it's like uh they sort of do several don't they where it sort of changes um to uh, there was um the i'm trying to think of the the com there was a is it china air or someone like that they did a sort of copycat type thing as well didn't they if i i seem to recall. oh a chinese yeah i mean the, yeah, the, the, the comac was it yeah something like that, yeah yeah i mean the russians have obviously looked at a massey ferguson tractor and gone yeah that will work well as a passenger that airline will fly, and we'll yeah. do that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Indeed, nothing controversial there, nothing to see. Uh, well, Al, I'll be honest with you, it's been absolutely wonderful yes. to have you on the show. Lovely. Uh, we're going to let you get away, obviously, because, uh, you know, you have been working all day and rest is very much required. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. It really is so very appreciated. Uh, an absolute pleasure. And um, I, I know that I was invited to give my uh, perspective on the Thomas mm. Cook collapse. And in the nicest possible way, I, I wish I hadn't have had no, to have come course. on the show tonight. Yeah, no, uh, but thank you all the same for the invitation. I have enjoyed it as usual. <laughs> and I shall go off now and have an ice cream before retiring. Uh, of course. Oh. Absolutely. Those are the rules. Uh, if uh, you're not aware, uh, he also, obviously, he does appear on our, sh our show occasionally. But of course, you can catch, catch him on virtually all episodes now of the plane safety podcast oh, where, do, where do they go to find that then al uh that's a really good question okay but probably the because uh, pip normally does this bit but uh, yes if you go to your uh your favorite uh, podcast application whether that be itunes or wherever it is the plane safety podcast and if you cannot find it then you can contact me and I will ask Pip how to do it. Yeah. But you can contact me at uh, on Twitter at Airbus underscore Al. But, uh, you should find the Plane Safety Podcast. There is a website. Yeah, there is. It's, uh, it's www.planesafetypodcast.co.uk. There you go. 
and uh, I no, probably will not com, be a regular sorry, it's contributor. Com. Yeah, it's dot com. Sorry, it's plainsafetypodcast.com. <laughs> no, that, that's right. It, it's the it's the cheaper domain name <laughs> that we've gone for there. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, having made just a complete hash of promoting the uh, the podcast, I'll probably be thrown off now. So um, that will be it. <laughs> oh, well. I doubt that somehow. Well, you're always welcome here. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, always welcome here. So yeah, as I say, yeah, everybody say goodbye to Captain Al. Goodbye, Captain Al. Bye bye. All the best. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. Always a happy pleasure, flighting. Mate. Take care. Yeah. So uh, we're going to move on to our next seg- segment now, and Carlos, um, we're going to go to Biggin Hill, if we may. Yes, we are. A few uh, few weeks back, we, uh, me, Matt, and Nev went to Biggin Hill Festival of Flight 2019, and we had a epic day there thanks to the team there at Biggin Hill and uh, we managed to get uh, an interview with uh, Stephen Inch from the Royal Air Force Tucano display team and uh, I took time out to have a little chat with Stephen all about what goes on with the display team. So standing here next to the flight line at the uh, Biggin Hill Festival of Flight and uh, lucky again to be able to come talk to uh, Stephen Inch. Stephen, how are you? Hi, very well, thank you very much. Good, welcome on to the show. Thank you. And uh, what brings you to uh, Biggin Hill? So we're here as the Royal Air Force Typhoon Display Team and we're here for our first year. We were out last year, so it's good to come back to Biggin Hill and bring the display as well. So Stephen, you're not actually flying today, but uh, you are the man in charge, as you say. Correct. Yeah, as I talk over the aircraft, yeah, uh, Typhoon Display Manager, so I look after the uh, the build-up to the season for Jim Peterson, uh, Flight Lieutenant Peterson, who's our display pilot for 2019, and he's done it for two years in a row. So he's here thrilling the crowds with his uh, improved manoeuvres, and yeah, I'm uh, in the background making it all work for him. So how much uh, you know, uh, pr- yeah, pr- um, stuff goes into place to put the show on each year for these air shows? Yeah, so for Jim, it's a lot of practices in a simulator, RF Coningsby, where the team's from and uh, we put a massive brochure together. We've got a lot of volunteers from around the station that come out to the air shows as well, so there's a lot of preparation to put together a display. Excellent. So a bit of background about yourself, Stephen, because you fly as well for the Royal Air Force. What, what do you uh, fly for the uh, Royal Air Force? So I've just come off the Tucano as uh, the basic fast jet trainer. I'm awaiting to fly the Hawk T2 at RAF Valley, so hopefully streamed into fast jets and end up on the Typhoon myself. And you're looking forward to that, I'm guessing? Very much so. <laughs> so how did things start for you, Steve? And how, how was the kind of aviation passion or bug uh, start with you? So for me, it was here. I grew up in Biggin Hill, so it's very nice to come back here. Uh, I went to school in the valley, so I saw all the air shows as a kid. My family brought me here, and it, it really sort of sparked that motivation to join the Royal Air Force and fly. So flying for you, did it start with uh, like the, the base PPL, you know, Cessnas and the Pipers and that? Yeah, I was very fortunate I got a scholarship here to get my PPL at Biggin Hill. So that was where my flying began. And then I was very fortunate to get into the Royal Air Force. So that's where my career has gone. So any memorable moments? Because obviously, um, for me, it was my first solo flight. Um, Any sort of memorable moments while you were learning to fly? I would say probably the same. Exactly. It's the first solo. It's the first time you're in charge and you're out there. It's freedom. It's incredible. And there's less weight in that aircraft. Yeah. (laughs) So the future, what kind of plans have you got for the future within the Royal Air Force? Obviously, you're, you're moving on to the new aircraft. Are you going to uh, stick to that aircraft or move on to something else? Or So for me, I'm going to stay with the team into the next year's season uh, before I move on to the Hawk T2 trainer. And then from there, hopefully, on to either F-35 or onto the Typhoon. But the display team itself, Typhoon, will uh, keep going, hopefully, for the foreseeable future. 
So any uh, other air shows you've got uh, this year planned uh, for the UK? Yeah, we're very excited to go back to Bournemouth on the south coast at the end of August. So that's a, a big show for us. And we're also going overseas to the Czech Republic, to Ostrava, to NATO days. So that's very exciting as, as well. That sounds absolutely fantastic. So the display that we've got here today, obviously it's, it's a fairly clear day, it's a sunny day. It's a bit of a wind though, we will say. Does that affect the display in any way? It does, yeah. Um, even though it's a very high-powered jet, Flight 10 Peterson does have to work hard, especially if the wind's blowing onto the display. So, uh, yeah, he'll be working hard today, I'm sure, to put on a perfect routine. Oh, that sounds brilliant. We're, we're looking forward to that. So one of the questions before we wrap up is uh, we always ask all the pilots we interview on the show to so kind of put you on your place or put you on the spot question. So, uh, but not to worry, it's an easy one. <laughs> and that, that is, if given the chance to fly any aircraft, albeit retired or still in service, commercial, military, GA, and you were given the chance to hop out on the field now, jump in, take it out for a spin, what would it be? It's going to be a spitfire. I think everyone must give you that <laughs> answer. But yeah, for me, especially for Biggin Hill and its heritage as a, a fighter station in 1940s. So yeah, the spitfire for sure. Oh, excellent choice. And yes, it is a very popular choice, along with Concorde, funnily enough. Oh, yeah. So, Stephen, thank you for taking time out to speak to us today on the show. And uh, on behalf of the guys here at the PTUK, thank you and uh, all the best for the future. Thanks very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, wasn't that lovely? Yeah, that was lovely to speak to Stephen. And uh, very smartly dressed. I've always, I've always wanted one of those. He those was in a flight suits. suit. That's I know. He, I, I, he looks like he's wearing pyjamas. <laughs> I, I, I want one of those. I want one of those. You, you, right, OK. But uh, we have just been to Matt. Just, just trying to remember how many we've got left of yeah. the uh, One more, Hills, I think. But, well, one it? more. We have, yes. Um, when I finished editing it, I just realised I hadn't, hadn't uploaded it. Actually. Oh, so oh, dear, oh I will, dear. I will do that uh, over the next couple of days. But uh, just looking at the weather there at Biggin Hill, that was only a few weeks ago. I know. It? How, yeah. how perfect it was. <laughs> and then look what we've had today. I perfect. know. Horrendous. Ha has like, the suntan uh, burnt? Sort of clear. Yeah, up the suntan's yeah. yeah probably gone, gone now. Gone isn't now. It? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, just wait till we go out to Dubai then. <laughs> right. Yes, you, you will take your Sun Factor <laughs> one hundred with you, won't you? Oh yes. dear, we better get some PTUK I'm, caps. I'm very worried about Nev's. Yeah, I'm very oh. about what state Nev's going to come back in. Actually. I know. I'll look <laughs> yes, after him. Be interesting. It would. Yes. Indeed. So coming up uh, next uh, on the show, then uh, Matt, uh, we've got a special segment from Armando, haven't we? Oh, really? You're going to make me do it? Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't do that and press buttons at the same time. It's like, you know, I'm not. I'm a bloke. I can't multitask. <laughs> so we've got uh, the last of the uh, bad dingo uh, segments come up. From, this is our military uh, segment. Our military this week, segment. Yeah, yeah, this is our military segment because it's uh, chatting to. Uh, uh, someone who Armando uh, got very friendly with mm. and had an awesome chat with him. We've already played out uh, one of the, you know, first, the half, first half yeah, of this a few weeks back. Actually. A few weeks back, but this guy is, has got to be one of the most interesting people to chat to about mm. aviation. So, uh, if you're ready, Matt, we'll play that for you. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, so it, it's all about the bad dingo. Is bad it? dingo. Hey guys, so last week we heard uh, the introduction to George Catalano and the bad dingo air racing and uh, some of his airplanes that he's flown in his aviation background. So this week we're gonna really delve into the Reno Air Races, what it's about, the training that goes into it, and George's personal experience. Um, it's an amazing event that if anybody gets a chance to come out and see it, or even just watch it on TV, it's, it's pretty darn cool um, to watch these home-built aircraft uh, at least in the sport class, go around at almost 400 miles per hour in addition to the biplanes, the Formula One, the Unlimiteds, and the Jets. It's just an awesome thing to see if you get the chance. So 
here is part two. So, so back then was Reno, I imagine the, the airplanes that were racing at the time was probably a little bit different than it is today, huh? Well, so there was no, no sports class. Um, the T-6s that race today are the T-6s that were racing then. Yeah. Honest, honest engine, swear to goodness. And, and a lot of the same pilots. Some of them have passed away from old age um, because they were old when I was racing. I was yeah. one of the <laughs> youngest guys to race the T-6 ever because nobody raced T-6s. I mean, you know, they're, they're exciting and they're fun. The, I love the plane. The plane is a blast to fly. It's just it's part of history that's important. And they're a real good, honest airplane, and they're a fantastic trainer, which is what they did. And uh, it was fun to make it go fast uh, or try. Um, the the unlimiteds, well, most of them have come and gone and come back and gone and come back again. You know, it's different airplanes. And, uh, but the checkout process, you know, where we have a week of PRS now. Yeah. We had about one hour of flying. Wow. Showed up on Sunday. They checked your paperwork. They did a tech inspection on the plane. Monday morning, I flew with Ralph Twombly. Now. Ian Twombly writes for Flying or AOPA, or maybe both. And his, so Ralph's son wrote for AOPA or Flying, and now it's Ian, I believe, who writes. So it was his grandson. I actually wrote to Ian and said, you know, your grandpa was my Czech pilot. And he passed away in a crash, you know, on the start. Uh, but the, the whole checkout process was we went up, we formated, we went around the course, we did some mild aerobatics, we did an engine out, and he patted you on the shoulder and said, okay, you're good to go. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, look what we go through for PRS. It's total military in the sports class. Now, the formula is not like that, and the jets class isn't like that, neither is the unlimiteds, but the sports class is, it's run like military, as you would know. Yeah, I, and uh, just on the last episode, I was talking about that. So, uh, you know, you know, I've told them, I've told the, the listeners about Reno, but this, this being my first PRS experience, I came away so impressed, just impressed by the amount of material, the professionalism with which they teach that class and, and the standards. That um, was, you know, I was happy to see that some people didn't make it through. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, yeah, so I, th I thought that was, it's, that was really good. I am too. Last year, I think five people didn't make it. Um, this year was a little more forgiving. Um, and maybe the, with the, you know, after the, uh, air to air incident we had mm -hmm. in 17, it, everything changed, you know, it just got really tight. You cannot come to Reno and be, you know, I think you'll be okay. Eh, wrong answer. You know, yeah. you can't do this. You cannot come there and not be ready. Yeah, it's just changed. It's gotten safer, you know, and of course the crash of Galloping Ghost, yeah, that kind of changed everything, really. Um, rightfully so. I mean, you can't be too careful, and even when you're really careful, bad things happen. When you're going as fast as you can go and you're hanging out there just a little bit farther than maybe you want to and, and there's people and turbulence and pylons going by, you know, it's just 
a recipe for variables that are not normally variables are suppressed by flying high, by flying with yeah. the engine, by having lots of gas, by not flying in winds and not flying formation with dissimilar airplanes. <laughs> when people don't have a goal other than to beat you, you know, that's like, you're just asking for trouble. So the rules that the sports class has put in place about the contract that we have by flying on the left and never taking your eyes off them, you know, you kind of live and die by that. And you don't kind of, I guess you do. And yeah. it's, uh, it's really important and they take it very, very seriously. So from what I understand, the, so the bottom of the course is 50 feet AGL and then the top of the course is 250 feet. So as you're going around there and, and everything that you just said is going through your head. What do you, how do you go through a lap? What are you thinking about? Or is your mind really just trying to digest all of that in some way? Well, it depends on what's happening around you. So in reverse order, I'll address that. After, the rate, after you're on the course, and if you're not really close to someone, then your focus becomes staying on the course in the appropriate spot, trying to fly the very best line possible, and doing some minor engine management in two spots on the field where you can actually take one, two, that's it. That's all you get. Then you've got to be back or you'll miss the pylon. It's not that you'll miss the pylon. You'll miss the line to go from pylon seven to pylon eight in the right spot. Cause there's only one spot at the speed you're at. And if you're off, you're off. Right. So you, 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 your diversion away from the field to twizzle around with your RPM and add a little mixture is very marginal. Now that's the best case scenario. The next worst case scenario is you're right on somebody and you, there is a chance that you're going to pass them. There, there's zero engine management. You're, it is what it is. You said it coming down the chute, and you better have done it right because unless some red something starts flashing red, <laughs> the cockpit, you don't have time to look at anything because you're trying not to. You're trying to pass somebody, and you're trying not to hit them. And you're, and you know, you need a good five miles an hour to get by somebody, and you don't typically have that. So and they're pushing out, and so you're doing everything you can to try to sneak by. And then the next worst case scenarios is there's somebody on your outside trying to do the same to you now you're boxed in and you you know it's not really your responsibility for this guy but it is your responsibility to make sure that you don't fly stupid um, and be predictable and then uh, the hardest part is coming down the chute at the start of the race where you move up line abreast you start to come up on the power and you start to descend and you're lying abreast and, you know, you're a football field wide going to a single point. Now, the rule says you're supposed to stay in your highway lane, right? You're not supposed to deviate up or down, and you're not supposed to collapse the lane and come in. As you start to roll in, the lanes start to collapse, and you start to hit each other's wake, and you've already got lots of wind coming through there, and you're, you're coming over a hill. You're going around a guide pylon, which is a light, looking for a pylon, which you can't see. Be, and and it's it's all happens in an instant and that's where the race that's where a lot of bad things can happen and that's kind of where you can blow it you know you can make a wrong move there's lots of interesting videos of in cockpit cams where 
people are passing in front of you and like you know, that is not legal and super unsafe uh, last year in the unlimited there's a, a video on that where a mustang just crossed in front missed the other guy by literally feet um all that's supposed to be avoided but you know it's a race too so yeah uh, so what are you th thinking about really just trying to be as careful as possible so that you don't do anything unpredictable and you're you're going to go where you're supposed to go predictably so that the guy on the outside can now be predictable for the next guy on the outside once you're through the first lap things kind of calm down a little bit unless you're right on top of somebody and when you are it's really really fun but i swear you only breathe two breaths around the whole you know one in a lap you're like <laughs> <laughs> and then the turbulence, you know, the turbulence is is pretty impressive it can be really you know throw your head against the canopy and you, you need ratchet seat belts um uh, i put some padding uh on the inside so i can expand my legs up and squeeze myself to stay in the seat yeah really helps and then two hands on the stick one is holding yourself down and the other is flying um because the throttles are <laughs> it's in and unless you need to put your hand on a mixer or something like that there's no point really uh you can hang on to the throttle you know as you're you know getting thrown around um uh but it's easier to hang on the stick uh, yeah and, and then technically actually it gets kind of tiring especially if you're in a lot of wake um which you know i'm not fast enough so i'm in a lot of wake <laughs> i'm not in the lead <laughs> i'm getting i'm getting beat up and the wind you know and and so you're trying to hang on so sometimes two hands on the stick is a little bit better because i have been in wake with when you're 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 already in a 70 80 degree bank you're going around a pylon and it tips you and so that you're past 90 and you're full the other way and you're just waiting to stand on the rudder like i don't want to do that you know i know the plane will come back quickly because our wake is not that bad i mean if that was a p51 or an l39 you're going to go around so you have no choice except to stand on the rudder and, and you know push because you could go in right they've done it uh, if you ever saw that l39 come down home pylon hit the wake boom fireball just all the way down home stretch I mean, you would have missed it if you blinked. Yeah. And it was wake. Um, so you, it's uh, it's not to be trifled with, but our wake isn't that bad. I mean, it's not like you're flying on a P-51, which would completely flip you over in a nanosecond. I'll, uh, I've flown behind a P-51 wake <laughs> in a T-34, and it's it's a rememberable event. You're like, my God. <laughs> <laughs> It's the double, and I mean it, it. It even when you're going slow, you don't have to try to over control it. But when it hits you, I swear it. It feels like the plane hit something. Yeah. It was, it was like wow, bam, bam, as you rolled through it. It's like whoa, okay. Goodness. Tried not to do that again. When did you start in the sport class then? 2016. Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't really think much about it. And I was like, man, eh, you know, they're cool. But I was a Warbird guy. I mean, I wanted a Warbird. I had a Yak 52 and a Yak 55. And I'd been doing aerobatics nonstop. And, and I was, like, tired of it. I just wanted to use an airplane to go somewhere. And, and I'd gotten married and to Christina. 
and I had sold a 52, so I had a single seat 55. Well, that's no good because Christina loves flying. So I bought a Bonanza. And, you know, I had that for 10 years. Um, and I got massively bored with that standard because it was like, come on, I mean, I need to do some aerobatics and do some formation and kind of have some fun. I went out to Oshkosh. I was at Oshkosh, and they were giving rides in a legacy for 200 bucks. So I signed up, and that's when I met Bob Jeffries, um, Vietnam vet, POW, heavily decorated, one of the nicest guys in the world. And I didn't know any of that about him at the time, but he took me flying in the legacy, and I said, I just want to see if this thing will really do 240 knots like you guys advertise. And he goes, oh, yeah, it does it. I said, well, let's go. So we went up over Lake Winnebago, went up 6,500 feet, had full throttle, like 25 inches and 2,500 RPM, and we were doing 240 knots. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I said, I have got to get one of these. Well, they were a lot of money back then. So it was on my radar, and uh, I was drooling bad. <clears throat> and then one day I drove out to the Deer Valley Airport, my Bonanza was, and I see this 58 Chevy parked in this pearl blue and silver and crazy cool paint job and right next to it is a lancer legacy so i thought it's a lancer 360 painted the same way They're identical i pulled the car over and i was like oh man i gotta have one of these i said is this a legacy and i said it doesn't look like a legacy he goes no it's 360 and i said what's that he goes you want to go flying i went mm, i don't know you you know First rule of thumb, which has always helped me stay alive. Don't fly with people in airplanes you don't know how to fly unless you know them or the plane. And I had never been in that. I was like, I don't even know what this thing is, so probably don't want to fly it. Although, you know the old pilot saying, never in doubt, often wrong? <laughs> yeah. I could fly that. <laughs> of course I could fly that. It's just a little airplane. Of course, well, that's literally what I did with you. I jumped in an airplane with you in an airplane I knew nothing about. True, except you you had been set up for it, and this guy was just in off the street. So yeah. he didn't know me. I didn't know him. The reason that I didn't, uh, I thought, eh, why do you want to take me flying? He goes, because this airplane's for sale. Are you interested in buying it? I went, oh. I said, well, <laughs> I said, what are you going to buy? He said, I want to buy a, a Bonanza. And I said, I want to sell my Bonanza. So we started talking. Now, Bonanza is pretty easy to sell because it's a Bonanza. Mm -hmm. But the kid airplane is a kid airplane, which I didn't understand. But I had enough funny, bad feelings. I was like, you know what? I, I don't think your airplane's worth what you think it is. And you don't think my Bonanza is worth. So we didn't make a deal. And uh, guess who bought it? Who's that? It was a PRS. It's race 61. Oh, Lewis Gabriel. Gabriel. <laughs> and uh, I mean, how funny is that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's like, what? <laughs> and I ended up buying um, the first bad dingo. Uh, it was an unfinished kit, at an, and I bought it at an auction. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was pretty horrific looking. But once again, you know, um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can do this. 
Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what I was talking about. I said, three blade MT prop with no time on it. Brand new engine overall. Yeah, okay, it's been sitting around 10 years. Eh, stop right there, but I didn't. And an airplane that you know nothing about with the wings off it, and, and it was all still a bunch of pieces. And I went, oh, the price looked right. And uh, I said, yeah, how long, how, how close to being able to fly is this? It's like on the 90 yard line. <laughs> Two oh, and a half years later. <laughs> sure, it is. <laughs> like, whoa. So you were probably having a flashback back to that T6 that came in in parts. Yeah, except I would have had a better shot of putting a T6 together. Seriously. I mean, you know what it looks like. Yeah. You look at that fiberglass and you go, what's going on here? How do I know this is right or strong or good? Or yeah, bad? A rivet's a rivet, you know? Aluminum, it's not bent. <laughs> it's riveted. I don't regret any of it because that's when the whole new learning process for experimental aviation and a whole new really cool group of people, I would have never met you and a pile of people. I never would have made it. It's a nice, you know, once I got it flying and all that, he said, why don't you come on up to Reno and race it? I went, well, I don't want to do that. He goes, why not? I said, I already raced. He goes, yeah, but this is different. So I did, and, <laughs> you know, it was a blast and I did well the first year. And then the yeah. second year we did the whole nitrous thing, as you know, and mm. uh, that was just, that was not a lot of fun that year. I had a lot of problems and had the exhaust break and almost fire and, you know, it was just took the fun out of it. Then I got the legacy, sold that, got the legacy and, uh, last year was just fun because you just, they're not racer planes. They're just planes you can race, right? I mean, would I want a racer? It's just the plane we only go to Reno with and we fly it around just enough to keep the engine lubricated. That's not really going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember when we were, when we were talking to a lot of the people coming through the hangar with, uh, with little dingo and you know, they were like, Oh man, these are great race airplanes and, they look wonderful and they must be heavily modified. And, you know, most of the people we told were, oh, actually, most of these are, are daily flyers or family flyers, or, especially in the sport class, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what's fun about the sports class. I mean, you take a stock 360 and it'll do 185 mm -hmm. and maybe 190. It depends on the plane, right? And that's just it. Depends on the plane. So now you get to do all the tweaking and modding, and it's just fun. I mean, it, and it makes your brain think. And if you're thinking and being active about trying to, how can we make this faster? And what's aerodynamically a better deal here? How big should these inlets be? And what about cooling drag and this drag and that drag, interference drag, all the things that you read about, but now you're like, let's go do it. And you pick up a knot here and a knot there. And let's start playing with timing. And then you learn a whole other thing where you don't mess around with timing. Never. Yeah. Not on a GA airplane. Heaven forbid, right? Now you're off in the Never Never Land of like, oh, let's try all these different power. Yeah, that's a whole other game. <laughs> propellers and, you know, on the limits of weight and balance and everything. You know, it's fun. It's fun well, as long as you're careful about it, you know. It was, it was great to see the, uh, you know, I got to sit into that seminar with a gentleman from Macaulay and uh, he said, you know, this is Patrick's comfort zone and here's, here's everything we engineer everything for. And you guys want to be over here doing 
twice the speed and 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 twice the RPMs. <laughs> and then, oh, hey, let's advance the timing. What'll that do? I don't know. You know, actually, when I got when he was done talking, I was like, okay, why are we doing this? Because we're probably all going to implode. Uh, right? Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I have a I have a test pilot friend who's an older guy. He's going to be he's seventy eight. He's got over thirty thousand hours, all non military. Non military. He's flown everything from, you name it. He's been in it, and all over the world. And he still flies today for Hartzell. Does a lot of their testing. And when I met him, he first thing he asked me, he goes. I don't think that empty prop is certified for that engine, which was an IO360. And I went, <laughs> stupidly, I said, will it fit? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I knew him well enough to be kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I was kind of also, what do you mean? I mean, I literally had no idea. What I really missed by that. I'd never really thought about, you know. I mean, I know it bends forward, and I know it's, it's warping, you know, from flying through the air and, but I never thought about the pulses of the pistons. It's just kind of one of the well, It's like creating a harmonic frequency that, yeah. that, uh, end very poorly. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it would end up concentrating in a very specific point in the propeller as it's going around its, its, uh, journey around the 360 degrees, which was, yeah, just amazing. And it, and it does make me, think back to all of the airplanes I've flown and you know you just basically slide your hand along the propeller and you shake it a couple times say yep looks good it's on there must be airworthy <laughs> and you have no idea what that yeah. propeller has been through. that all being said what's what do you think is next for you at at Reno are you looking at doing mods to the aircraft to get a couple knots here and there what's that balance of hey I still got to fly this thing you know, 51 other weeks. Yeah. See, that's the practical question. The impractical side of me that sits out here and schemes at night when I'm done at work and then I can start reading flying periodicals and study because I just like to do that, I guess, um, on flying, that is. I sit here and I go, how much would it cost to just slap two turbos on there? Don't even have to do a, a mod on the cowl. No intercoolers, run a big ADI tank. And you can do that all day long if you have a low enough compression and don't use it any more than about 28 inches. No. You don't have to have intercoolers. 30 grand. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's the brute force way to get anywhere, right? Add horsepower. Yeah. I mean, you go 400 miles an hour in a legacy. 800 horse that's how you do it <laughs> what do you do what do you do to keep your skills sharp or sort of the you know proverbial mind in the game before you get back to reno in september the most important thing um is formation flying you've got to be able to get in get in quick into into your position and not be hair on fire so if you don't practice for two months it's going to be a little hair on fire, promise yeah. you. And that's no fun at all. PRS is an option for a certified pilot. I think it ought to almost be mandatory, although I would not verbally say that. 
it is so beneficial to go out and go get the crap beat out of you in turbulence with similar airplanes going around Peavine and, and simulating race because you can't fly around that course too many times. Yeah. That is a fact. There's guys have been flying out there for 30 years and still go, where's that pylon? Yeah. Well, and, you know, unfortunately, I'm one of them and I haven't been there 30 years. You're like, where's that pylon? <laughs> like, well, yeah. Oops. That, that kind of sounds funny for somebody that's done it, but but watching just the the camera footage from inside the airplanes, it's one, it's going by fast. Two, you know, you're basically looking for a 55 gallon drum on top of a telephone pole in the middle of the desert with some sagebrush in the background, yeah. all while trying not to hit somebody or the ground. And the thing is, is that in order, it's like when on the start. Uh, First lap is around the big course, and then you come into the sports course. So on the sports course, when you come around two, when you're coming into pylon two, you need to be looking at three, or you won't line up for it right because it's not an oval right through mm -hmm. there. It's fairly angular, and across you go. But in order to do that smoothly, you have to hit two right, and the only way to do that is to be looking at three when you go by two. So you got the lizard eye thing going. This eye is looking at the pylon, and the other eye is going, oh, 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 yeah. And then you're adjusting for wind, right? So you remember at PRS, we had some ridiculous winds that one day at one. So you're, you roll out of that pylon, and it's blowing you on the inside of three, and you're like, uh-oh. Well, you know, you're not allowed to turn right. Yeah. And then you're on the wrong line and you need to turn right to get back. That's like, no way. You yeah. cannot, right? So you're going to cut that pylon. And that sounds stupid, but it's actually easier to do than, I, I used to think, how the hell do you cut a pylon? Oh, I, it's not so hard to do. Trust me. <laughs> I have not done one in a race, but I've done them in warmups. I've done them at PRS. I did two, two weeks ago. And then I followed a guy around a pylon the wrong way. I yeah. said, where are we going? It was like, oh, wrong course, you know. Really? This guy's been racing for 20 years. Yeah. Like, it's just easy to do. And then mm -hmm. you have to you, it, so, so when you get down low and you got a bunch of turbulence and a bunch of other airplanes, your focus gets so narrow, it's hard to keep your head up and go, where am I going? I'm going right there. No, 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 no. You're going all the way around. So make sure you got the all the way around part down. Otherwise, you end yeah. up drawing lines to the pylons, and that's a slow way to go and uh you know it's if you watch the guys um that are really good they hold their altitude and they are they never waver unless they've got a traffic problem they are flying a line and praying the engine doesn't blow they're not messing around there's no up and down there's no climbing in the turns they got it nailed they are on a rail because that's how you win, especially when you don't have the advantage of extra knots. So you've got to fly the line right. Otherwise, you're going to get beat. Because you fly a crappy course. I remember the first year um, <clears throat> in Little Dingo, I'm, I'm following an RV-8 with a six-cylinder, 310-horse six-cylinder on my little 200-horse. And he is wide and on the outside, and, and he's in a qualifying lap, and I'm qualifying behind him. And I'm flying, I'm flying my line, and he's, I'm coming up to him, and he's outside and high. You're not allowed to pass on the inside. 
Yeah. So I called him and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to take you on the inside. And he's like, Oh yeah, you're fine. You're on a qualifying lap. You're not anywhere near the course. I ended, up, I ended up qualifying in front of him. Faster speed, right? And he could never get around me the whole week, especially because he flies high and wide. So it's unforgiving when you start making. And when you look at the speeds, the differences between two, three seconds, one, one thousand, two, one thousand. Oh, you're four miles an hour difference. You're like, what? No, I'm not. Those planes are identical. Well, you didn't fly the right course. And so yeah. now you're never going to get by the guy in front of you all week because he's going to start in front of you. And it's all about qualifying. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to getting back out there. And, and obviously, you know, personal thanks to you for getting me, not just on the crew, uh, but then now the best part about being on the sport class staff you know get get the uh i'm with the band behind behind backstage pass is getting a chance to meet everybody and getting a chance to talk to everybody and and just like you're saying it was awesome just to get a chance to know each one of these folks whether they're racing or on the cruise because even the crews are very experienced um and then you know some some people that are on the you know the class officials that are just awesome to, to talk with. And I really enjoyed seeing the camaraderie in the sport class. And I, and I can only imagine that the other classes are, are the same, but uh, I think sport class being the biggest one, it was very cool to experience that. And of course I owe that all to you. So you, so you've flown a lot of airplanes that we always end with, with one question, which is if you could fly any airplane in the world, uh, money is no object, past or present sr71 yeah i've read all those books i just i just scratched my head and i go how on earth <laughs> did we pull that off with slide rules i mean is there anything cooler really yeah that's crazy that plane is crazy <laughs> oh wow G george is literally the coolest guy in the entire world isn't he he he's just like it just was comes that just across. One cigar he was smoking, or, or several. <laughs> We're not quite sure. Yeah, yeah, several cigars yeah. Oh. throughout the entire duration of that. It's. Uh, I mean, I think I think the best bit for me there, obviously. I mean, what a fascinating guy it has to be said. I think the best part for me is when the light went, and essentially all you could see was this shadow, Silhouette. And the biggest cigar <laughs> yeah. with the red glow on the end that I've ever seen in my entire life. Anyway, uh, we desperately need yeah, we're going to start, start wrap wrapping up, up uh, yeah, episode two hundred and eighty-eight. Then, guys and girls, we are going to say a quick uh, special mention though before we finish tonight's show to uh, someone who everyone should know on the show uh, he was uh, my flight instructor Stuart O'Neill uh, Stuart O'Neill has uh, happily passed his command course uh, for the airline mm -hmm. he flies for here in the UK so uh, Stuart is now Captain Stuart so uh, <laughs> congratulations to Stuart well done and uh, all the best uh, for your future uh, with the airline but uh, he does have man flu at the moment so he oh, is currently oh, in bed suffering from man flu but uh, well done Stuart so round of applause well done yes very good well done yeah, well done yes, absolutely well done him so that is where we're going to bring episode number 288 to a close big thanks to Armando for joining us uh, earlier on and yeah, to Captain Al course, for joining yeah. us 
Big thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room tonight as well. Right. Not forgetting everyone who downloads the show through audio. Don't forget, catch us on the social meds or social meds, Facebook, I Twitter, beg your pardon. Instagram. I know, it's Dr. Steph, she's rubbing off on me. Social um, media. That's what she said. And uh, yeah, social media. They've sorted uh, them out, please. So, uh, so uh, yeah, we're going to, uh, just for this week, I think, we're just going to hand things over to Nev to, uh, to finish the show. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Steve, for listening and watching. And uh, I shan't be back next week because I'll be flying back from uh, Antwerp, uh, back into London City Airport on that lawnmower. <laughs> uh, but uh, in the meantime, from all of us, hope you have a great week. See you again soon. Take care. Say bye-bye, bye everyone. Bye-bye. You know, because you listen to it, you know how I do put it in post. I really do. <laughs> <laughs>